Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Wednesday, May 11th, 2022 Board of Trustees meeting. Um, let's go right into roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Blue is excused. Trustee Chapman. Here. Trustee Esteem. Here. Trustee Fox. I know Markham is here, I see him. Um, Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. Uh, Trustee Spindario is also excused, but we do have a quorum. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, let, let me make a few comments on public comment as we're about to go. This is how we open our meetings. So as a reminder to our audience, to our trustees, to all our stakeholders, this board of trustees welcomes public comment. All feedback and commentary should be considered a gift. Um, particulars, notes on public comment for speakers. Number one, you need to officially inform, inform the clerk of the board that you would like to make com public comment prior to the start of the Board of Trustees meeting. Um, uh, there's an email in our open session minutes. It's how to contact her. Number two, public comment can really be made for anything the public wants to speak about. Uh, it can be for an agendized item or a non-agendized item. If for a specific agendized item, we will try to put that public, public comment right before that, that specific agenda item. If not, the, if it's for not a specific agendized item, it'll come here at the top of the meeting. Generally speaking, the time limit is up to three minutes per speaker. Again, we embrace the, the, the policy and the, and the theory and the principle of hearing public comment. That being said, uh, we are here to also move an agenda along and have open and, uh, discussion dialogue. So the time will be adjusted based on the number of speakers. Or uh, it's generally accepted practice in, in a public forum to, uh, for, for the trustees to not directly respond yeah. to public comment. So given that, I'd like to say that we have 28 okay, public so speakers on tonight's agenda. That is quite a, a, a few of agendas and, and this could literally uh, you know, uh, last an hour and a half into that. So uh, it seems that our public speakers are, are coming on two primary subjects. If anyone else can mute, that would be great. One is on John George, related to John George. The other is related to uh, uh, SCOTUS and Roe v. Wade. So I'm gonna actually put those groups separately, if you don't mind. So we're first gonna hear from our John George, people who would like to make public comment on John George. Now, given that there are 21 of those, we're gonna limit that those public comments. We do wanna hear them. We ask you to be effective in your speech at one minute, one minute of, of comments. So we, at, we ask your indulgence on this. Uh, to help you along, our clerk of the board will we'll be um, uh, telling you right around 40 seconds or so. So I wanna give everyone time to adjust whatever they had in their mind. And then I'm gonna sort of name the, uh, I'm, I'm, I have a list that, that, that has been submitted. If you don't answer, I'll come back around. So the first five that I just want to get ready are the following. Apologies if I'm not, uh, if I mispronounce names. Kata Koba, BJ Wilson, David Schatz, Stephen Smith, and Joseph 
10 bang are the first five. And then I'll mark you. And if, if you don't reply here, I'm gonna come back around and give a second chance. So um, uh, uh, rules of, uh, or guidance here is about one minute and you'll, uh, our clerk of the board will give you a 40 second warning. Okay, everybody. All right, have a, have a good public comment. Uh, Kata Koba, are you in the, in the house this evening? Yes, I am. Good evening, Kata. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Doing well. Um, please start your public comment. The clerk of the board will tell you right around 40 seconds, okay? Okay. Thank you, ma'am. So, so um, my name is Kata Koba. I'm an RN care manager at John George. I'm an SEIU chapter officer, and I'm also the daughter of a fallen healthcare hero. My father was a physician who worked in a hospital organization very similar to John George. Although the circumstances of his death were different, there are quite a few things that do remain the same. Um, I'd like to talk about how assaults not only affect family members of people assaulted, but they also affect the patients. They affect the millions. As a patient advocate, I ask you to please make a commitment to stop assaults now. As the daughter of a fallen healthcare hero, I'm asking you to stop assaults now. Make a commitment. Ms. Koba, thank you for your comments. Next will be BJ Wilson, then David Schatz, then Stephen Smith, then Joseph Tinbank. BJ Wilson, are you in the house this evening, sir? Or ma'am? BJ Wilson? We'll come back around to you, BJ. David Schatz. David, are you in the house this evening, sir? I am. Good evening, David. Hello. Please, please go for okay. it. Okay. Uh, my name is Dave Schatz. I'm a uh, one of the psychiatrists who works in PES at John George. Um, I had a conversation the other day with an EMT who said to me that the whole Bay Area knows that John George is the toughest, most dangerous psychiatric hospital in the Bay. I've worked in Los Angeles and the bad parts there, they still don't compare to here. And for reasons that I'm not going to blame entirely on administration, that is true. I have worked in two other PESs. Uh, I've worked in jails and prisons. And for various reasons, this is the most uh, dangerous setting, partly because uh, we serve as the forensic uh, setting, um, since there's no forensic psychiatric hospital. Um, also because we don't have access to deputies since we're not on the same campus. Um, uh, but the point is, if the nurses are asking for something that they need to make things more safe for them, please give it to them. Because I can assure you, as one of the psychiatrists here, they deserve it. They need it. Dr. Schatz, thank you for your comments, sir. Thank you. Stephen Smith, then Joseph Tinbang, then Chan Choi Farm, then Emzan Ali. Um, Mr. Stephen Smith, are you in the house this evening, sir? Mr. Smith, we'll come back around to you. Joseph Tinbang, are you in the house, sir? Mr. Tinbang, we'll come back to you. So our next group of five are Chan Choi Farn, Emzan Ali, Sabrina Gage, Troy Nixon. Um, we tried to, uh, let's do Chan Choi Farm. Chan Choi, are, are you in the house this evening? Yes, I am. Well, welcome. 
Hi, my name's Chan. Uh, I'm a mental health specialist at John George, and there's been a lot of SOTS going on. We need the SOTS to stop now. We need more staffing. We have tons of times we all have aggressive patients and then it tends to get assaulted. And then the things that's tough is work-wise, it's not uh, an even ratio. So, for example, we have an aggressive patient in, in my unit. There's not as many male staff compared to women. So there's been days where I work where I'm the only male staff on the unit and it's not safe. Even there's a time where I'm the only staff member on the floor and while I'm the only staff member on the floor, I have to do multiple things, which I shouldn't be ha be having to do. There have been moments where I had a training class. They canceled my training class and brought me back on the unit and just threw me on the floor. And I was the only staff member, which was ridiculous and it made it not safe for me and the patients. Mr. Farn, thank you for your comments. Next, uh, Emzan Ali, followed by uh, Sabrina Gage. Uh, Emzan Ali, are you in the house this evening? Emzan Ali, we'll come back to you. Sabrina Gage, Sabrina, are you in the house this evening? Sabrina Gage, we'll come back to you. We'll do Troy Nixon, then Angela Walker, then Shawana Ari, then Tawanda Gilbert. Troy, are you in the house this evening? Yes, I am. Good evening, Troy. Good evening. Please. My name is Troy Nixon. I'm a registered nurse um, at John George and PES, and I'm also a shop steward for SEIU. Um, we we um, need your guys' assistance in helping us keep this um, facility safe. We've been begging for uh, more safety, safety measures to put in place in order to keep us safe and staff, I mean, and the patients safe. The things that we're asking for are things that reg regulatory agencies says is a requirement in order for us to do our job. It's, it's not like this is stuff that is optional. You have to provide safety. You have to provide um, things in place in, in order to keep us as staff safe so we can do our job and deliver the type of care that our patients need. Our administration is not serious about doing that. So we need you guys' assistance and commitment in forcing them to provide us the type of safety measure that's gonna keep us safe as well as the patients. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Nixon, for your words. Next is Angela Walker, then Shawana Ari, Tawanda Gilbert, then Stefan Waller. Um, Angela Walker, are you in the house this evening? Angelo, we'll come back to you. I'm here. Oh, you all right? Uh, I'm here, I'm sorry. It's cool, Angelo. All good, you're on. Okay, so my name is uh, Angelo Walker. I'm a mental health specialist um, and I work currently in PES. Um, I've been employed for the past 14 years at John George Psychiatric Pavilion. Um, so my concern is, Again, as, as, as other people have stated, the lack of staffing and then as well, the lack of training. Um, you know, we work with the police, we work with the fire and we work in a hospital. And those agencies go through continuous training and ours is once a year. And the lack thereof does not help us. What we have to do as far as helping the patients and helping each other. Um, it becomes a knowledge base where we can all help each other. And the more we know, the more we can do. And when it's a lacking of availability of information and knowledge for us, 
it helps nobody encompass in the whole situation. And the sheriffs, it too, would help. And it would also be grateful if they could help facilitate um, as far as our training as well. Um, so in turn, I, I, I hope that things turn around um, and we uh, have some of those things available for us to help ourselves and to help our clientele that we deal with currently. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you for your words. Next will be Shawana Ari, Tawanda Gilbert, Stephen Waller, Mike Mas Maksudi. Um, Ms. Shawana Ari, are you in the yes. house? Yes. Good evening. Hi. I'm Shawana Ari, and I work at John George. I'm an MHS. I work in PES on the night shift. And I've been there for two years and yes, I have been assaulted and um, it's not a good feeling and we need more support and more safeties and training and more, like more staffing to help out and then also help management push for these concerns so we could be safe and then also have deputies have deputies on the campus through the units and just on the units and um, have like metal detectors to make sure that um, no one comes in there with weapons and also to just protect our safety at John George, period. Tawanda, thank you for your comments. Tawanda Gilbert. Tawanda, are you in the house this evening? I am in the house. How are you? I'm doing well. Good evening, Tawanda. Good evening. The floor is yours, ma'am. Okay. My name is Tawanda Gilbert. I work at John George MHS Unit C AM shift. Also um, store for SEIU 1021. And most importantly, I am a community member. I have been a community member of Alameda County my whole life. Okay. And I am begging and pleading for the board of trustees to support us in our fight as far as safety for the patients, safety for the staff. It hurts my heart to have to come home and the same people I see in the hospital, I see in the community, I see friends, I see family. And at this point, because I feel like we're not getting the support we need, I feel ashamed to come and hit that clock. And I haven't felt that way in a long time from working there. But at this point, I'm really starting to feel this way because we shouldn't have to go to this list of extent measures to ask for what we need. There are lack of resources in Alameda County and our patients come there looking for resources that we don't have. So we need the support. And I beg, once again, I plead for you to please take us and help us with this fight. Thank you for speaking up, Tawanda. Stefan Waller, M Mike Maksudi, Ruby Sloan, Theo Williams. Um, so let's go with Stefan Waller. I hope I, I pronounced that correctly, Stefan. Hi, this is Stefan. Hi, Stefan. Hi, uh, my name is Stefan Waller. I work in PES, uh, Knox Schiff, uh, as a mental health specialist. I was attacked back in February uh, by a patient, and um, I've been on leave with pay since um haven't heard a word as far as what's going on with my case and um i've just been supporting my staff and um as far as trying to help them get the help that they need um i've heard about a lot of the assaults and i definitely believe that we need more help stefan thank you for your comments mike maksudi ruby sloan then Theo Williams. 
Hi, Mike, are you in the house this evening, sir? Mike Maksudi, we'll come back to you. Ruby Sloan, Ruby, are you in the house this evening? Ruby Sloan, we'll come back to you. Theo Williams, then Victor Castillo, then Maria Betancourt. Theo, are you in the house this evening? I'm here. Hi, how are you, Theo? I'm well, how are you? Please, um, the floor is yours. Hello, my name is Theo Williams. I've worked at, for 21 years at John George as a licensed psychiatric technician. I am here first to ask, will you support patients and staff at John George by doing everything you can to stop assault? I'm asking this because I have been assaulted numerous times in my tenure at AHS and have seen multiple co-workers and patients assaulted. I'm also asking because we need more staff, we, more, we need more training, it's just needs. Thank you. Thank you for your words, Theo. Victor Castillo, then Maria Betancourt, then Lucille Edwards. Good evening, Victor Castillo. Are you in the house, Victor? Victor Castillo. Victor, we'll come back to you. Maria Betancourt. Good evening, Maria. Are you in the house this evening? Hi, good evening. Yes, I am. Good evening, Maria. Hi. The floor is yours. Thank you. My name is Maria Betancourt. I work at Alameda Health Systems as a specialist clerk. I'm also a shop steward for SEIU and represent over 300 John George employees who dedicate their knowledge and skills education to the mentally and emotionally challenged population. I'm here today because there is an assault crisis at John George that leadership is well aware of and has done little to mitigate the problem. I'm asking the Board of Trustees to please support us in helping to bring deputies back to John George as we previously had, to provide protection to patients and to the nursing staff, to the ancillary staff, including housekeeping, all of us who care for the patients there at John George. We need the support, we need your support. I, I welcome you to come to John George and see what conditions we're working under. I'm inviting you all to please come to John George. I can email you. Come anytime. I want you guys to see what conditions we're working under. Thank you. Maria, thank you very much for your words and for speaking up. Lucille Edwards, then Brandon, then Yemi Onofawadi. Um, Lucille, are you in the house this evening? Yes, I am. Hi, Lucille. Good evening, everyone. My name is Lucille Edwards, and I'm an RN at John George. I've been a nurse at John George for over 10 years. And I want to ask that you all to please help us with this situation. This is the most terrible situation I've ever been in, in my years of 28 years as a nurse. And I worked at various psychiatric hospitals across the nation. And um, we have people that would never be able to work again as nurse, as techs to help others because of the injuries that they have sustained. I have seen patients get injured. I have seen nursing staff get injured. And I would like to ask you all to please help us get more um, deputies, more training, and to let everybody know this is a very serious situation. Stop the assaults now. Thank you. Ms. Edwards, thank you for your comments. Um, Brandon, then Yemi Onofawadi. Good evening, Brandon. Are you in the house? 
Brandon, we'll come back to you. Yeme Onofoare, uh, apologies, Yeme, if I'm getting it wrong. Yeme, are you in the house? All right, we'll come back to you. That's 21. I'm going to come back around one last time. Um, BJ Wilson, Stephen Smith, then Joseph Tinbang. BJ Wilson, are you in the house? All right, BJ. Stephen Smith, are you in the house? Thank you, Stephen. Joseph Tinbang, are you in the house? Emzan Ali, then Sabrina Gage, then Mike Maksudi. Emzan Ali, are you in the house this evening? <clears throat> Sabrina Gage, uh, are you in the house this evening? Mike Maksudi, then Ruby Sloan, then Vic, I see Victor Castillo. So Mike Maksudi, are you in the house this evening? Ruby Sloan, are you in the house this evening? Hi, Victor, good evening. Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well, the floor is yours. Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Victor Castillo. I'm, um, I work for the EVS department. I've been employed for the past five years working here. And uh, I was assaulted uh, for a provoked patient on January the 17th. And uh, what I, what I would like to please and beg the, for the Board of Trustees to help us out to bring uh, the deputies uh, on the hospital for the safety of the, of the staff and the patients. And the reason I'm saying that is because I'm still in recovery and I haven't been able to recover 100%. I'm still can't get my peace of mind back together, you know, for the same reason, because I, until today, I don't feel safety at all. It's, and it's hard to come to work when you don't feel uh, that you got the, the safety that we need. So yes, I'm begging you, please help us out here and bring the deputies. Um, Victor, thank you, thank you very much for your words. Thank you. Um, um, Brandon Yeme Onofawari. Brandon, are you in the house this evening? Yeme Onofawari. Yeme, are you in the house this evening? Okay, apologies crowd. I'm gonna have a conversation with my clerk of the board. Madam Clerk, I just got a uh, chat from you. Were these uh, uh, public comments submitted before the start of the meeting? They were submitted as the meeting was starting. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll give that again, helping our crowd go that uh, submissions should be given. There are five I think that you've texted me on, is that correct? That is correct. Uh, let, let's, give, let's give the uh, public their, their due. So uh, this will be Alicia Taylor, Ben Fisher, Rodarsha Fungel, Eddie Johnson, and then Jamila Brown. And then we will we will close shop on this item. Uh, good evening, Alicia Taylor. Alicia. Hi, my name is Alicia Taylor. Um, I work at John George, a mental health specialist. Um, I'm here to ask the board of uh, trustees to support us for patient safety as well as staff safety at John George. I'm currently off work right now, healing mentally and physically. I was assaulted. Um, April 7th, which is still hard for me to talk about. Um, 
and I'll be off work um, intended for quite some time because of my injuries. And I just want you guys to listen to what we are saying and to help us um, because it's really bad at John George. And I feel unsafe to go back to work because of these injuries and what I'm going through now mentally. So if you guys could help us, that'd be great. Thank you. Ms. Taylor, thank you for your words. Ben Fisher, then Radarsha Fungel. Good evening, Ben. I'm here, can you hear me? Yes, sir, go for it, the floor is yours. Thank you. My name is Ben Fisher, I'm an activity therapist at John George. I've been working here for about five years. I used to work as an MHS um, on the floor. Um, I have been assaulted um, in the past. Um, I think a lot of our staff members uh, that work on the floor, and even those that don't are assaulted on, a, unfortunately, a semi-regular basis. And I'm here to ask the Board of Trustees if you'll do everything in your power to stop those assaults. Um, we wanna protect staff, we wanna protect patients. I've seen both of which sent to the hospital and coming back, some of my coworkers who are not, and are forced to come back to work before they're ready. I've seen patients get assaulted by other people and then come back and see the change in their eyes. Nobody comes to a hospital to be assaulted, not the staff, not the patients, not anybody. There's a lack of, a severe lack of training here. I haven't seen any worthwhile training. We need so much more. We also need law enforcement help here. And I'm asking the Board of Trustees, please do what you can to stop the assaults at John George. Thank you. I'll pass it on to my colleagues. Thank you, Mr. Fisher, for those words. Radarsha Fungel, then Eddie Johnson, then Jamila Brown. Radarsha, are you in the house this evening? Radarsha? We'll come back to you. Eddie Johnson, are you in the house this evening? Yes, I am. Good evening, Eddie. Eddie, a little echo there. Let's try it so, again. Sorry. Eddie, do you have two devices on? Uh, I actually don't. Okay. Actually, Eddie, try that. Let's go for it there. Hello? It's a little, it's a little echoey, but let's go for it, sir. Okay. My name is Eddie Johnson. Uh, I work at John George as a mental health specialist and both uh, trainer. And I've been, in my 20 years of working at John George, I've been both a victim and a witness of assaults that has happened there. And I feel when it comes to safety that everything possible should be done to reduce assaults to patients and staff. And for that, we are asking for your support and helping us to keep John George safe. Eddie, thank you for your words, sir. Ms. Jamila Brown, Jamila, I think I saw Jamila before. Jamila, are you in the house this evening? Yes, okay. I'm here. Good, I'm here. Good, e good evening, Jamila. Good evening. The floor um, is yours. I'm here for to talk about for you guys to help us stop stop the salt. Um, number one is that every time we talk with the management and everything, they just brush us off. We, we have talked with leadership many a time. And the last time we spoke about having like a safety team come through and they made it seem like the safety team is when um, we, what they put down every day on the list. We need to hire a safety team. We need um, deputies there because I have been assaulted too. I was assaulted last July and I was, and I start feeling better by the end of January. So the number one thing is we need management to stop brushing us off because that's what they do. Every time we come to the table, they brush us off. So please have management start supporting us 
and I'm asking you to support management so some management can start supporting us more also. Thank you. Thank you for your words, Ms. Brown. Um, Radarsha Fungdell, Radarsha, are you in the house yet? Got it. With that, that that's uh, uh, thank you for all the speakers who spoke on 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 this on, on this item. That we'll close out this portion of it. The the next group of speakers are uh, uh, the subject uh, was related to Roe v. Wade. So the list of speakers are uh, as submitted as follows: Dr. Kevin Smith, Dr. Rebecca Fallick, Dr. Anna Altshuler, Dr. Ch Chitra Akilaswaran, Dr. Kerry Wilson, Dr. Youssef, Dr. Dr. Youssef Youssef, and Dr. Serena Kisara. So we'll open up with uh, Dr. Smith. Dr. Smith, good evening, sir. Uh, I thought I saw Dr. Smith. Yeah, I'm here. There he is, bottom corner. Good evening, Dr. Smith. The floor uh, is yours, sir. Actually, a comment on this. Uh, 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 we have less speakers on this. Uh, we just use, uh, uh, we, we just, uh, our time allocation was about 30 minutes for that last one. We, I want to be equitable in the distribution. We'll, we'll, we'll give everyone two minutes of discussion for here. Madam Clerk, if you'll hit them up at around 90 seconds. So that so they can uh, have a thirty second to close out. Okay. Uh, Dr. Smith, good evening, sir. The floor is yours. Good evening. Thank you, Chairman Bouquet. Thank you to the Board of Trustees for this audience. Uh, clearly, in response to the news of overturning potentially Roe v. Wade pending, uh, you should know that there are very few places in the in the East Bay for Alameda County patients to have family planning and abortion care services and. Alameda Health System is one of them. We have many dedicated providers, dedicated nurses, dedicated staff who are prepared uh, to provide excellent, expert, compassionate care for family planning and uh, abortion needs. We're also extremely lucky, and you'll hear from her later, to have uh, an able fellowship trained family planning director in Anna Altshuler who has been working to both increase access to our our care and uh, streamline our services. Should Roe v. Wade be overturned, um, abortions will occur. How they occur um, will likely depend on the socioeconomic status of the patient. And likely we'll see widening of gaps um, to access and, and outcomes and, and greater disparities. We do have a governor who has uh, declared that we will be a sanctuary state to allow uh, support of family planning and abortion services despite what SCOTUS does. And what we can do as a system here is help prepare, thank you, prepare to support patients. And as our mission states, service for all by uh, asking to be a sanctuary site. Uh, sort of resourcing the, the state funding and, and other resources to allow to expand the services that we already aptly perform. Thank you very much. Thank you for your words, Dr. Smith. Dr. Fallick, Dr. Rebecca Fallick. Uh, Dr. Fallick, are you in the room this evening? I'm here, yes, thank you. Good evening, Dr. Fallick, how are you? Thank you, I'm so well, I'm well, and thank you for having me. And uh, Kevin, that was a really, uh, Really incredible introduction, um, thank you. So my name is Rebecca Fallick. I've been an OBGYN at um, AHS for five years. I'm the director of the AHS Endometriosis and Pelvic Pain Center. I also provide surgical abortions for our patients up to 24 weeks. At AHS, we are uniquely positioned 
as Kevin mentioned, to become a sanctuary destination for abortion care. In order to do so, however, we need to improve the quality of our abortion care. Currently, with our local East Bay patients seeking abortions, we have tremendous hurdles that need not be present at AHS. It shouldn't take patients multiple phone calls, extra visits, and ultimately precious weeks to get their abortion here. Patients get frustrated by our inefficiencies and understandably seek care elsewhere. AHS has the infrastructure, desire, and the unique position that we have absolutely ample and passionate abortion providers, but we need more resources to streamline our care, to improve it for our own patients, and to prepare to become a sanctuary for out-of-state patients. We need more provider and nurse clinic hours, more OR time. We need the funds, the increased resources to fix what we currently have and to make it streamlined, efficient, and inviting process for patients so that when the time does come soon that we'll open our arms, our clinics, our ORs to sanctuary, we'll have that capacity to do so. Additionally, it's worth mentioning that we aren't a standalone abortion clinic to which protesters will swarm when out-of-state patients come to seek abortions. In fact, we have the opportunity to be extra welcoming to patients as it's highly unlikely protesters will come to protest at Highland. Protesters don't know the extent to which we can be an invaluable abortion site for local and non-local patients alike. If we're committed to becoming a sanctuary destination, we need to find Thank you. My bad, I was on mute. Uh, thank you for your words. Um, uh, next, we will have Dr. Uh, Anna Altschuler, and then uh, followed by uh, Dr. Chitra Kiliswaran. Good, good evening, Dr. Altschuler. Good evening. Thank you so much for this opportunity to speak. Uh, I'm Anna Altschuler. I'm an obstetrician gynecologist with subspecialty training in abortion care. I also conduct research in abortion integration and patient-centered care. I'd like to describe the current state of abortion services in our health system as Dr. Smith and Dr. Fallick have already done to some extent. Um, it's also important to understand our challenges and more importantly, to recognize our strengths. Uh, I came as the director for family planning this year to strengthen the existing abortion services and to meet the needs of the community. Um, I was really drawn to HS because of the potential I saw in this organization. Uh, for those who may not know about abortion, abortion services in this area, Highland has never really been a major player for this care. Um, there used to be an abortion clinic called Family Planning Specialists that operated out of Jack London Square since the mid 80s. And that's really where the majority of HS patients went and they loved the services there and Highland even referred our patients to them. Um, but they closed in 2019 and then the pandemic happened. And now there's a drought, especially for medically complex patients and for those farther along in pregnancy who can't get care at local Planned Parenthood. Uh, I've engaged in conversation with a few patients since being at AHS, and some of these patients are continuing pregnancies but they because they did not know that Highland provides abortion services and that they can access care in a timely fashion. Uh, they believe the only hospital available to them was San Francisco General, and that's just too far. And it's unfortunate because the truth is we've been here all along. Um, we are like others said, we have we provide full thank you full spectrum of abortion care, including including for medically complex patients, which is really unique. Um, people in the community just don't know about us, and they really should. Uh, with proper investment and support, we can strengthen our existing services, spread the word, and then prepare really for scaling up if the abortion care public health crisis becomes our reality. 
we can be the sanctuary institution for patients in our own backyard and for patients coming from elsewhere. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Offshuler. Next, we have Dr. Chitra Akilaswaran followed by Dr. Carrie Wilson. Dr. Akilaswaran, good evening. I thought I saw your I'm here. Good evening. There you are. Good evening. Hi, Hi. Um, I think you know me as the president of the Eastman Medical Group, but today I'm speaking to you as an obstetrician gynecologist and as an abortion provider. I came to AHS because I knew that my passion for honoring the reproductive choices of our patients would not just be accepted, but welcome. And I wanna underscore how rare it is to find yourself in a system where you not just have, not only have just one or two physicians who can provide complex abortion care up to 24 weeks, which is the legal limit in California, but multiple providers. We also have nurses and OR staff and anesthesiologists and all the equipment we need to provide a full spectrum of abortion care. And just as Dr. Elshuler said, People don't know that we exist. So we are at an advantage and I believe we have an ethical obligation to open our doors to those who need it. This came to bear for me with a patient that I had um, who just after announcing her pregnancy to her family found out that her baby had rare genetic anomalies um, and uh, we made the decision together to terminate her very desired pregnancy. Um, and by the time that she'd gone through the diagnosis and the testing and the counseling required, she was 23 weeks. And in most states, even today, and certainly when Roe is overturned, she would be forced to carry this baby to term, to care for a severely disabled child, and to bury her child soon after her baby is born. So I strongly advocate for Alameda Health System to declare itself as a sanctuary system. We have all the ingredients we need and the essential care to provide this sort of services, abortion care services to patients across the country. And with this declaration, I think that we can access the support funding and resources we need to absorb a portion of the 1.8 million estimated women that are likely to travel to California each year for abortion care. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tillis Warren. Uh, next will be Dr. Carrie Wilson, then Dr. Youssef Youssef, then Dr. Serena Tassara. Um, Dr. Wilson, good evening. Are you in the room? Good evening. I am here. Good evening, Dr. Wilson. The floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. Um, I'm Dr. Carrie Wilson. I am one of the OBGYNs. Um, and I um, am a recent, uh, recent attending at AHS and was, was drawn to AHS to come here um, for many of the reasons that my colleagues have already said. And I don't think I could really say this all any better than they have. So I won't um, take too much time, but I think it's just for me, abortion care is healthcare. And I think that it is just so much a part of our mission at AHS that is imperative that we continue to provide not only for our patients, but those patients who in the future, very sadly, may not be able to access it elsewhere. Um, and I just, I think we can all hopefully be proud of, of the care that we provide. Um, and remembering that maternal mortality is, is an upfront and very important issue in our community and across the US. And I think we can we can play a really important part in, in helping care for, for all patients and, and women specifically um, in, in the future. Thank you very much, Dr. Wilson. Dr. Youssef Youssef, then Dr. Serena Tisara. Dr. Youssef, good evening, sir. Are you in the house? Dr. Youssef, we'll come back to you. Uh, Dr. Serena Kisara, good evening. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm Serena Kisara. I'm one of the OB 
guidance at AHS. I actually recently just started here in January, and you have already heard about why we're especially positioned to provide this complex abortion care and services sanctuary, but I wanted to add one other thing. I came from West Oakland, which is one of the community clinics in Alameda County, um, and we looked, and all the community clinics looked to AHS as the specialty gynecology service referral unit center. And they're, because there are very, very few other providers in the county that spans from Berkeley to Pleasanton to Fremont that provides this type of care. And we have months, months long backlog for surgeries and we can't do that for abortion. We have to expand this service very, like now in this appending crisis. So um, anyway, that's all I wanted to say, thanks. Thank you, Dr. Sar. One more time back around to Dr. Youssef. Dr. Youssef, are you in the house this evening? All right, with that, we'll close out the yes, public comment. We have one more speaker who got in uh, before we started. I apologize, you didn't see my text. Is, uh, is Sally it, is, was, so is yeah, the clerk of the board so. giving me the go ahead to put this one on the, on the list? Yeah, I, I apologize. I do as I'm told. Uh, let's, <laughs> let, let's go with uh, Sally Miskelly. Thank you. Hi there. All right. Hi, my name is Sally Miss Kelly, and I'm the Director of Perinatal Services and Transformation uh, here at Alameda Health. And I've been working in reproductive health and abortion care for over 10 years. I also operate an abortion fund and reproductive health nonprofit in the state of Alabama, where I'm originally from. And just being from a state that's hostile to abortion, I know how difficult it is for interstate travel for medical care. And it's going to need patients from out of state are really going to need extensive navigation and resources. They're going to be pretty challenged in accessing services. Um, and, and I anticipate their needs will be pretty high, just given what we've already seen in Alabama as it is um, with requests. And uh, if we're really going to be a sanctuary system for abortion, and I think that we can be, and I advocate for that, we're going to need resources for these travelers that will be seeking abortion services with Alameda Health. So just wanted to speak to that. Thank you very much for your comments. Um, uh, Madam Clerk, anyone else? That's it, thank you. Okay, thank you. So what, what I'll say on behalf of the Board of Trustees, uh, this, this board, again, I wanna reiterate that we, we are of the belief that all feedback is a gift. Uh, our, our two groups of public commenters, uh, uh, your, your, your comments and feedback are, will, will be digested by this board. And, and go forward in future discussion. So we thank you for all those comments. With that, we'll move into the open session and uh, we'll go to item A. Uh, for those of you who are new to uh, this meeting, item A is typically uh, an article of discussion and um, we will do this. Uh, 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 apologies to Trustee Friedman who had previously requested this move back be moved to the end of the agenda and we may do that in future, but there was something of importance to be discussed. And um, the article chosen uh, this evening happens to be entitled, Through No Accident, How Roe v. Wade's Fall Would Create a Public Health Care Crisis in California. So, so trustees, um, I, I take it that you've read the article. And with that, I'm going to actually just open it up to comment um, uh, from the trustees, uh, then uh, perhaps our executive leadership as we kind of move forward and, and, and have a uh, entree into this very important topic. Uh, I, I, I think unless you're living under a rock, you can't have not uh, taken, this, taken this subject to heart. 
So uh, trustees, uh, do I have an opening comment on this article, how Roe v. Wade would create a public health crisis in California? Okay, I'll prime the audience. Uh, uh, Trustee Banerjee, I'm gonna save you for last. Um, 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 uh, you know, important data. I, 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 uh, I'm of the opinion that, that we have a mission statement that we're all, that we're all very familiar with, caring, healing, teaching, and serving all. And, and I'm also of the opinion that we are here to provide essential care uh, for patients. And I am personally of the opinion that abortion care falls under that moniker of essential care. So uh, those are my personal opinions. All that being said, the, the numbers are staggering, uh, which, are, which, are, which are outlined in the article. Uh, the Guttmacher Institute uh, estimates that demand could increase by 3,000% um, should uh, Roe v. Wade uh, fall. And all, all, all signals and signs are suggesting that will be the case. And I think our, our, our excellent uh, group of physicians who had discussion on this quoted some of the numbers, which estimate 1.4 to 1.8 million uh, uh, women in, uh, in this age group uh, would, would potentially migrate to, to California. Now, if you look at the map included here, uh, the Western states include Washington and Oregon, California, even Nevada, which would which would potentially uh, maintain their 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 right to uh, their access to abortion. Down south, of course, is Arizona, which would most certainly not. Um, so I, I thought it was a uh, a, a data filled article, which which highlights the issue that we have. So after that priming, now I'll go back to trustees. Trustees, any any comments? All right, Trustee Banerjee, little help. <laughs> I'll still give you close. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Um, you know, you all have said it better than I could have, but really abortion is healthcare and reproductive politics in the U.S. is based on gendered, sexualized and racialized acts of dominance that occur on a daily basis. And this work is pivotal and critical as we think about scaling it, as we think about it in our broader sense of the women's services that we provide over here. Because Dr. Falik, you mentioned the pain, pelvic pain clinic and things. And so we know that we will have women who will, um, you know, some of uh, who will be able to travel and come. But there are, even when Roe v. Wade is legal, uh, many women are not able to get those on time. And so as we think about how we concentrate our resources, scale up, get all of the resources that we can to utilize the kind of incredible strengths that we have within our clinic, I hope we will center, keep centering the most marginalized, keep making sure that the ones um, that we address the intersectional issues that um, uh, women will face as they come over here. And then also really, I think that this leads to a question of sometimes as we are thinking about abortion, thinking about a really great reproductive justice frame that is based in uh, human rights. And you know, family planning folks know that, that you know women should have full bodily autonomy to not have children, to have children, and if they have children, to believe that you can have a world that will sustain and support 
and uh, be able to thrive for them. So as we think about the many ways of delayed of um, uh, treatment for folks and coming in, the entire gamut of uh, services and programs that we provide for our women to be able to support them at this time. And then also to make sure that we are keeping our equity uh, focused constantly. So, um, and uh, I think through primary care, through other ways, if there's cross-pollination in ways that people can spread the word and share that, that would be really helpful to do with the resources that are coming down, we hope, with, um, um, with the legislation pending um, that that will happen, but all, all hands on deck, basically. But thank you for all you do. Thank you for those comments, thoughtful comments, Trustee Banerjee. Trustee Jensen, I see your hand up. Yes, and if I can. Okay, um, thank you. And thank you for the article. It was, of course, um, among many, 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 many um, writers and advocates and people sharing information about what this potential decision will mean for um, not just for the states like California and the states that do outlaw abortion, but for women who um, will lose control of their the right to make decisions about their their own bodies. And so that's really critical. And that's the the, the very scary part. I think um, we sometimes in California, we think we tend to live in a bubble because we do have freedom that some other states may not have, residents of other states may not have. And um, it, it, in my opinion, if the Supreme Court overrules Roe versus Wade, the implications will reach far beyond access to abortion and the fundamental human right of abortion being eliminated because it is not, it, it is a privilege and it is not contained in um, a document that was written well over 200 years ago is not, is not, uh, does not guarantee access to what was contained in the, uh, the earlier document contained in the Declaration of Independence, which is uh, life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness. So unfortunately, the, the Constitution, I think that this is just a slippery slope. And I, I do hope that with this being in the public eye that perhaps our um, Supreme Court will take another look at this freedom and protect the right of all women to make their own decisions about their own bodies. Thank you, Trustee Jensen, for those words. Other trustees? Um, uh, I'm gonna go with Trustee Chapman, and then of course I'm gonna go to our CEO, Mr. Jackson. Just scanning the room, I don't see any. Let's go, let's go with Trustee Chapman. Good evening, Trustee Chapman. Uh, good evening, everyone, and um, thank you. The, the article really touched me, and, and what really touched me about it is that it seems like instead of progressing in society, we reg we're regressing. And women having the right to choose shouldn't be, it, it, that shouldn't even be a conversation whether or not they have a right to choose. And one of the things in the article that stood out to me is that it's not going to stop abortions, but it's going to cause more deadly and um, difficult abortions. And I appreciate what all the the doctors and OBGYN staff said about it. And I just, I hope that this does not pass and go through. It's, it's really sad to me that we're even having this conversation. 
yes, Trustee Chapman, and as they say, uh, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Um, so I think preparing and planning is something that that, that should be a product of, uh, of, of, of this discussion. Mr. Jackson, then Dr. Tornabene. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Chair. Um, I, I will just say briefly, and you've all seen the memo that I co-authored with a number of our physician leaders, and I'm really proud to have done so. Um, I appreciate that it's somewhat of a controversial position when you look at the entire nation. It shouldn't be, but it is. But I would just offer, and this is my opinion, I will preface it that way, um, for the justice who wrote the majority opinion that was leaked out um, to suggest that this is something, this decision um, does not endanger other rights that have been conferred because it's not something that was enshrined in the Constitution, I believe is basically a false um, proposition because frankly, viewing me as a full citizen also was not enshrined in the Constitution. And so following his logic, I think that it is a very slippery slope. Um, so is um, interracial marriage. And so I just, I think that it's bigger than abortion. Abortion is the issue at hand, but I think it's much bigger. And I'm, I'm proud that AHS is taking the position that we are, and, and I'm open to the consideration of sanctuary. I appreciate that that could have strong implications for our organization. It's not something I would undertake lightly, but I'm very open to the conversation and understanding how, that, how we might operationalize that. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Dr. Tornabene. Good evening, Dr. Uh, yeah, good evening. I just wanted to also add, I'm so, so much in admiration of all of the words that have already been said, um, but I do think that we have a moral and ethical obligation to provide this care to our community. And, and I'm certainly happy to work with all of you on as we explore expansion. Thank you for those words, Dr. Tornabene. So as I noted before, it's not this—it's not the practice of, of this board of trustees to respond directly to public comment, but public comment informs issues uh, that the board needs to help take on. So I thank you uh, to both groups of our, our, our public commenters. These are issues that the board takes very seriously uh, as we should. And uh, it's our job to steward the discussion, the dialogue, the action, the strategy, and the operations, which can help support all that. I'll, I'll leave it open for any other trustee comment before I close uh, this item A. Thank you, everyone. Um, uh, with that, we'll close item A. Let's go to item B. That's the CEO report. Back to you, Mr. Jackson, sir. Thank you very much, Chair Bouquet. I will, um, I will share screen and begin my report. Um, are you able to see my report? Still loading. There we go, game on. Great. Um, and I'm gonna just open my remarks by saying that when this meeting started, there were 103 people on the line and right now they're about 72. So roughly 30% of the individuals who started the meeting with this have left. Um, my concern is that those are folks who you know, perhaps had their say and they've left. And I would just offer that, um, you know, it's important to seek to understand as well as to make your point. And so I'm grateful that folks came and wanted to express themselves. I hope in the future they'd be willing to stay and hear others as opposed to simply saying what they believe and then leaving. 
And um, with that, I will step off of that particular soapbox and get into my report. So I have used um, the pillars that are in the new strategic plan um, for the basis for my report. And so it was a little presumptuous of me and you'll hear more about the strategic plan as we move forward, but I'm using the four pillars that are proposed in the strategic plan that is up for consideration this evening by the trustees. Um, so um, away we go. In regards to our community connection, I wanted to share that it's a point of pride for me that recently both the system as well as San Leandro Hospital were nominated for best hospital or medical center by the Parents Press, which is a local publication. And so trustees, you will receive this report. There will be a hyperlink in it. Um, I urge you all to take the opportunity to, to vote for the system and or for San Leandro Hospital. But um, again, this goes back to public perception of who we are, and I'm just gratified that there are those in the community who felt strongly enough to nominate us for such a recognition. Um, in regards to trust, which is another one of our proposed pillars, we've had extensive conversation about this. I certainly won't read it to you, but this is the memo that was co-authored by myself, um, Chair Bouquet, um, our Chief Medical Officer, our President of the East Bay Medical Group, as well as the Chair of the Department of OBGYN in regards to supporting uh, reproductive freedom at the Alameda Health System. Obviously, more to come on this, and the sanctuary conversation is one that I'm very eager to pursue, but I just want to state unequivocally my support for reproductive rights and reproductive freedom, and I, I welcome the feedback of the trustees and, our, and those present on the call tonight. Rounding continues. Um, you can see the data here. I shared this information on the desktop chat today and it was really gratifying. I had a great question from one of our staff and they said, one, are you still doing the rounding? And two, um, what are you hearing from people? What do people wanna talk about and what value do you take away from the visits? And I just was really happy to be able to share that yes, um, the, the rounding will continue and I don't see it stopping anytime in the foreseeable future. And I take great value. I, I was, um, the other day I met with a young lady who I will not name, but she is a manager in one of our units. And she was concerned that, um, was I willing, willing to support our management team when it came to union um, interactions? And, you know, I am very much about creating a more cohesive and a more collegial relationship with labor. And I, I hope that my actions thus far have shown that but not to the detriment of my management team's ability to lead. And so it was enlightening for me to have, and you know, my chair says this often, all feedback is a gift. And so it was, um, it was heartening for me to have this young lady have the courage to come and share her concerns with me. I was able to, I think, allay some of her concerns, but it also indicated for me that I've got to do a better job of helping my managers understand how best to interact with labor. Because I think that we can have a symbiotic and productive relationship with labor but that's, that takes work and I'm prepared to do the work. And so that's just a very specific and anecdotal example, but that's the kind of good feedback that I get by virtue of this rounding. And so I will continue the rounding. This is a snapshot of the last walk at Lake Merritt. We had a, a good crowd. Gentlemen, I will tell you, I was the only guy there and it took a while for me to realize that, but um. You know, I, I need some guys to come out and help balance this thing out. But the walks are fun. We have a great time. We have one coming up this weekend. And I urge you all to come out and join us. Um, it's a fun time. And it's just a great chance to get to know 
your colleagues in a, in a different light. Moving to the quality care pillar. Um, this is something that Richard Espinoza, who was our chief administrative officer for post-acute care shared in a different forum. And I was just so struck by it. I felt like I wanted to roll it into my report. This is the key performance indicators for the acute rehab unit. And I'll just draw your attention to a few um, key points that I thought were really germane. Um, when you look at the functional efficiency, which is the first line, you can see that the uh, target, it's a new target, but you can see that over the course of the year, it's moved um, fairly dramatically. And the objective here is the functional change that the patient makes per day during the rehab stay. And so it's really, it's a, a way to objectively measure how much progress a patient is making, which is the point of being in an acute rehab service. So I thought that was very powerful. You can see that our objective is to discharge more than 80% of our patients to the community. So it means going home, not to another level of care. And you can see that on the year to date, we've averaged almost 85% of our patients going home or to the community and not to another level of care. So I, you know, I'm, I'm very proud about that. Um, and then you can see the rest of the metrics. I won't read them to you, but I love seeing all of the zeros on the CAUDIs, on the medication errors, on the acquired pressure ulcers. Um, and you can see again falls. Year to date, it's at 4.72, which is um, a good bit below the target of 5.5%. So again, kudos to Richard and to the post-acute acute rehab team. Moving to staff and patient experience. Um, I think you all know, you've seen the emails. This is the, it's nurses week, it's skilled nursing and it's hospital week. And so there are a number of events that are happening to celebrate our caregivers and to acknowledge them. Um, this has been an unprecedented two plus years. And so really we are actively doing everything that we can to make sure that they feel cared for, appreciated and loved. And so um, you will see a number of events over the course of this week going into next week. This is just a quick uh, synopsis of a memo that went out to the organization in regards to nurses and skilled nursing care and hospital week. Um, and it really is just um, a testament to the team. You can see in the final paragraph um, that over 60 departments achieved a 100% response rate on the SCORE survey, which is unprecedented for us here at AHS. Um, and the hospital response rate jumped from 68% to an exceptional, that's at Highland, 96%. Um, so 68% to 96% year over year at Highland Hospital. Um, so again, that's feedback. It's not all positive, but it's feedback. And that's what we use to try to make the organization a better place for people to work and to receive care. We'll not read the slide to you, but this is just a quick synopsis of a number of the events that are taking place over this week um, in regards to celebrating our staff. You can see the Nurses Week Symposium events um, some of the work around diversity that's happening. And then, of course, the food trucks, which have been a hit and people really enjoy them. Um, this is something that I just love. This is something our chaplain team is doing. It's called the, um, the it's the hand blessing. Um, and I would just draw your attention to the second line there. Um, a hand blessing is not necessarily religious. Um, we embrace all creeds and faiths, or, or if you don't have one, but a hand blessing is really a way of creating connectivity. And so I'm so grateful to our chaplaincy team for, for making this available to the staff. And obviously the, the dates are here. And I hope that um, if you're able to take advantage of the one that's coming up, perhaps on, on tomorrow, that people will do so. 
Um, vaccination update, um, the high points, as you can see that 95% um, of our staff are fully vaccinated, 5% remain unvaccinated. Many of those folks are on leave. And um, I'm quite pleased to say that 94% of our staff have received their boosters, um, or at least the first booster. Um, the second booster is not mandated yet, and so we're not tracking that, so it's, it's on a voluntary basis. Um, and I'm happy to take questions when we get to the end on that. This is about governance. And I think you all know that we are well into the governance process, which is being led by the Board of Supervisors, Supervisors Valle and Brown, I think are doing a, a wonderful job eliciting feedback and um, really trying to get to what is the right structure going forward for the Alameda Health System. We have a meeting this Friday morning um, that Dr. Bouquet and I will be attending again. Um, and we will be making a presentation really to talk about what changes have taken place at AHS over the past year plus. And so looking forward to continuing that process and I'm optimistic that um, we will be satisfied with the outcome. Um, these next slides are just a reminder of the event that the foundation is sponsoring. It is the, um, the updated version of the gala, if you will. It's called the Soul of Spring. It is not a formal event in the way that the gala has been in the past, but I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, here are a few highlights uh, pertaining to the to the the solo spring event, and um, I it's going on it's on the 21st of May, and I really encourage all of you to come if you're able to, and you can see some of the artists that will be uh, performing at the solo spring event, and um, so really asking for your support for this important event. Finally, Schwartz rounds. Um, we have another Schwartz rounds coming up tomorrow. Um, which is titled Holding Compassion in Scary Situations. And, you know, for those of you who've attended, and we've had a number of trustees who have come to the Schwartz Rounds in the past, um, it's extraordinarily powerful to hear clinicians sharing their experiences and providing support to each other to do this very important work. And so I am a, a strong supporter of the Schwartz Rounds, and I encourage those who are able to participate. Trustees, thanks for your attention. I'm available to answer any questions you have. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Trustees, I'll open it up to you. Any comments, questions, dialogue uh, from our CEO's report that just came? Uh, Trustee Banerjee. I'm so happy to see the KPIs from uh, post-acute. Um, and I know that our dashboard shows only the hospitals, right? Like um, Highland and, and others. So we usually don't see some of these metrics within in our total um, true not metrics. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Do we? Trust, um, Trustee Banerjee, you froze for a second right there. Did you, would, would, were you able to hear, hear Mr. Jackson's response? No, I, I wasn't. Um, I was saying you were correct, trustee, yes. So, and as part of a system, it's really important for us to know what every part of the system is doing. And so this is really good to be able to see the metrics from our post-acute um, good work for the team. Thank you very much, Trustee Banerjee. And I, I agree. And I felt like, you know, Richard mentioned this kind of in an offhand manner in another meeting. And I said, Richard, this is the kind of thing that we need to be sharing. And so I asked him if he minded if I would bring this forward. And so terribly proud of the work that Richard and the team are doing. Um, it would be my intention to continue to highlight. Um, and when they're not great, I'll share those too, because I do believe in transparency. But I'm, I'm just really pleased and proud of the work 
of that team and happy to share it with you this evening. Thank you. And I was wondering when we do the true north metrics as part of the strategic plan, if like the, the metrics of our um, ambulatory primary care or post-acute, those could be included in the metrics. So when as um, trustees, we see the dashboard, we just don't see our inpatient, but we see mm -hmm. the aspects of our um, system. I appreciate the point. And um, I think um, Anna Torres is on the line and I know that Nilda is as well, as well as Dr. Tornabene and that's great feedback and we certainly will work to do exactly as you've suggested. And I'll, I'll remind all trustees, remember that, that, that discussion of the True North metrics, the, the, the trustees actually uh, get to vote on the True North metrics, whether they will be proposed by staff I know that uh, uh, with regard to the quality related metrics, the quality team has been breaking their back, uh, finding a good set of, and I think they're gonna be, those will be coming forth. I presume this will similarly happen in, in the context of HR and, and, and finance to find the metrics which they feel help guide our board. Um, so the, that, that should be a part of upcoming meetings. That, that's sort of a discussion to committee chairs for, for, for the new fiscal year, which is, will be upon us pretty soon pretty shortly. Thank you, Chair. Any, any other comments, questions, dialogue for our CEO? Thank you, Mr. Jackson. With that, we will close out item B. Let's go to item C. Uh, as everyone recalls, part of our process is directly engaged with our medical staff leaders. We have uh, three medical staff leaders are hopefully in the room this evening. Dr. Irina Williams, who's the chief of the medical staff for Alameda Health System, which includes Highland and San Leandro. We have Dr. Adrisa Pizzali, who is uh, from the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee. And of course, we have Dr. Uh, Nikki Joshi, who's the chief of the medical staff for Alameda Hospital. So uh, let's go with Dr. Williams first. Good evening, Dr. Williams. Good evening, the board. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, I'm going to start with my report. Sorry, I'm a little under the weather today. Um, so let me, okay, here we go. Um, so I wanted to start with some of the accomplishments that I wanted to share with the board. Um, the first one is that the medical staff is very grateful for the nursing quality review committee that has been launched under the under the direction of our chief nursing um, officer. We're very appreciative of that, and we're still sort of learning the process and appreciate any feedback and communication about it. Uh, I also wanted to share with the board that um, our ambulatory team has completed three, uh, has trained three cohorts with the Racial Equity Institute on the issues of race, diversity, and inclusion. And um, we had, um, we were able to schedule three separate sessions. It was mainly for ambulatory providers and um, uh, folks from the ambulatory, um, not necessarily physicians, but for everyone. But we were able to engage some of the non-ambulatory teams as well, sort of lim uh, limited by the constraints of the capacity. Uh, that was a two-day course that was completed and um, I completed it myself. I thought it was great. It was very powerful. Um, and um, we were just very grateful to have this opportunity to participate in this training. And hopefully in the coming years, we can identify more funding to uh, continue doing this work within our organization. Um, 
in terms of the concerns, um, we have a few here on our list. Um, recruitment challenges uh, remain high on our um, concern list. Um, we have multiple positions still open and unfilled, and we sort of talked more about it during the last QPSC. I think one of the particular concerns is with uh, difficulties with primary care physician recruitment. Um, we seem to be struggling more with the primary care side rather than specialty and inpatient side. Um, in addition, we have um, some uh, sort of operational leadership positions that we have hard time recruiting in the primary care as well. So um, that remains um, concerning, especially given the need in the community. Uh, and we're still seeing some provider nursing shortages now, again, related to, to COVID absences. So that, of course, impacts the, <clears throat> the function and well-being of our medical staff. Um, Culture safety uh, is still on this list as we're still learning um, about debriefing and the next steps. And I think it's on the concern, it's on the concern list because um, we still haven't figured out a good way to engage our, to engage our physicians uh, with this survey. We did a little bit better this time around compared to last time, but I think it's important to start um, uh, brainstorming about how we can do it better um, sooner rather than later to make sure that we have enough time to implement any changes or any adjustments to how we roll out the survey on the physician side. Um, the third concern is um, the the conversations around service line implementation. There is so much interest about um, how we're going to approach it, how the service lines are going to be structured, what is the sort of what is going to be the reporting uh, structure for the service lines, uh, what groups are going to be next on the list. There's still um, a lot of interest and conversation about it, and we hope to continue learning more as we um proceed as of right now we have we have launched one service line which is a cardiovascular service line but we still um, sort of identifying some of the nuances of their reporting structure and uh, kind of uh, learning about this process as we go um, other than that you will see the credentialing and privileges in the committee reports um, uh, outlined in my executive summary um, I'm open to any questions. Thank you. Dr. Williams, thank you for that report. Trustees, any questions for Dr. Williams? Questions, comments, dialogue? Her report was included in the packet. Thank you, Dr. Williams. Please feel better. Thank Please you. Feel better. Um, with that, let's go to Dr. Afzali. Good evening, Dr. Afzali. How are you? Good evening. Good evening, all. Um, Thank you for having me. Uh, San Leandro Leadership Committee met this month for our quarterly meeting. Uh, my uh, summary is also included in the packet. Um, the point number one on the packet, the CDPH Antala survey, I shared those details with everyone uh, last month, but since we hadn't met as a committee, I shared the findings as well as the action plans with the committee. Uh, the second key point on there was an exciting update from Dr. Williams herself uh, regarding the pain medicine uh, transition from Alameda to San Leandro. This is great news uh, for San Leandro in terms of expanding services there, uh, since it's a topic I frequently mention uh, and uh, definitely a welcome move. Uh, the committee looks forward to updates on the completion of the plan and expansion of services, including hiring of staff and uh, providers. 
Uh, Long-term considerations we hope will be considered by Dr. Williams are the inpatient consult services, uh, which is a move that would be uh, welcomed by the inpatient teams. Um, another topic that's been a recurrent topic is a three-day antibiotic uh, cutoff rule. Our hospitalists uh, continue to be concerned about this because of the reliance uh, on the automatic cutoff versus an alternate pathway uh, because um, there's a risk of patients missing doses. Uh, uh, the hope is that next month, they the hospitalist team will be invited to the stewardship committee meeting uh, and that um, the topic will be addressed uh, in that committee. Um, the long-term impacts uh, are related to key point number five on my, on my slides, uh, which include the moving of all uh, microbiology away from San Leandro Hospital, uh, acknowledging that this is a complex topic uh, that is triggered by uh, equipment uh, being out of date, as well as not having enough qualified staff, and uh, staffing is uh, an issue for every department. Uh, but our hospitalists will be most affected by this charge, and there were a number of uh, uh, physicians uh, from uh, the Department of Medicine who raised uh, concerns that this will affect our lengths of stay. Uh, and so mentioning that as an FYI uh, as well. Um, the last item I have on my uh, presentation is key point six regarding the ED arrival renovation plan. And this is good news uh, with April data in, uh, we are holding steady and continuing to show significant improvement uh, in our metrics uh, for in the ED. Uh, as you can see in, in, the, in the data, uh, I added one last column on there that I'll point out the total ED volume uh, has, uh, declined a little bit, and which is expected. January tends to be our busiest month of the year. So January to April, there's been a 0.04% drop in volume. However, we continue to see significant improvements in, in the rest of the metrics because of the changes we've, uh, we've implemented. Um, staffing was mentioned multiple times today. I've mentioned it before. Uh, it continues to be a significant challenge in the ED, especially during this week. I wanted to share uh, a message I got almost exactly 24 hours ago from one of our charge nurses in the ED. Uh, and I just wanted to read it to add a, a human perspective to it to, to uh, help you see, um, help you sort of understand what, what, it, what it means from the individuals working the front lines. And so I'll, I'll just read it out. Um, this is from one of our charge nurses in the ED yesterday. Uh, quote, we are short staffed. Again, uh, we are only getting two nurses Leaving, uh, leaving us with five uh, by 7 p.m. No break nurse, no pit nurse, and we have a full house. I don't anticipate any breaks for the staff. Can you please order some food, pizza or something? We're not, we are overworked, overstressed and starving. Help, exclamation point. And with that, I'll take any questions. Please, any questions for Dr. Ozzali? Uh, I, I have a question, Dr. Chair. Yes, ma'am, Trustee Esteen. Yeah, really curious about this antibiotic cutoff rule, and, and I don't really understand why we would make rules about antibiotics or treatments in general uh, if they're not like according to the need of the patient. Um, and I'm also curious about more details about microbiology moving 
and I, I hear the points about staffing. I will say I'm excited to see the, the times, the length of stay and the, the patient times in the ED looking really, really great. Very curious what that's like if you're short staffed and people are moving faster. So that's like several questions all at once. So great comments and questions. So, uh, uh, and this is either to Dr. Afzali, I, I suspect Dr. Tornabene has uh, uh, some knowledge in this. So point number one, uh, the, the driver behind the three, the driver and, uh, and analysis behind this three-day antibiotic cutoff rule. And the second point, I think I heard Trustee Asim was questions, why would microbiology move away from San Leandro? It, is that accurately? Sure. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. So I'll, I'll give this back to Dr. Abzali and or Dr. Tornabene. I'm happy to start with uh, question one. So the uh, antimicrobial changes had arisen last year out of concern for antimicrobial overuse. And so then that had been reviewed and suggested by the antimicrobial stewardship um, uh, committee, including the infectious disease physicians there as a way to drive physician behavior towards um, taking a look at the microbiology results on day three and perhaps adjusting the, the antibiotic. The, the risk that has been um, escalated by the hospitalists is that the concern that when you have an antibiotic automatically ceasing on day three, that you might not catch it and then you might have days lost of, of therapeutic phase loss in terms of um, antibiotics. And so then I think that's where the, the kind of debate has arisen around, you know, what do we do in terms of managing the use, uh, the, over, the potential overuse of antibiotics versus um, the risk of missing antibiotic days. And so um, that's where I think from what I understand that that discussion will go back to antimicrobial stewardship. Um, in order to um, have a conversation about it. And what I, from what I do understand that this approach that had been suggested is not a common approach in hospitals to cut off about three days. So I think that is part of the concern that we're hearing from, from the hospitalists. Combine that with moving microbiology away from the site and then it's like, whoa, yeah, uh, recipe for that outcome. Yeah, and in terms of um, and the, the microbiology moving, I don't know if Dr. Ng is on the call tonight, and so she, she would be the most, um, uh, you know, expert in some of the reasons behind the need to move micro. Yeah. Um, and so if Dr. Ng is not on here, I think that there was training and volume um, considerations there, but we can bring that back to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a question in follow-up to this. Dr. Tornabedi or Dr. Afsali, are there clinical representatives on the antibiotic stewardship committee? Yes, uh, we have our infectious disease physicians are on there. I don't know the other and pharmacists. I don't know the, okay. the if there are other physicians on on that committee. I, I'd have to reach out to them. Find yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I obviously don't expect you to know all the membership, Dr. Kornbeni. I know you know a lot, um, but well, I guess what I'd say is it sounds like there is clinical representation on the issue and maybe even clinical driving of this. Of, of this. D does that sound perhaps accurate? That was indeed everything that I understand in terms of the genesis of the decision. There was clinical decision-making behind that. 
Yeah. However, you know, equally we're hearing from other physicians across the system saying, hey, we're worried about this. We're concerned that 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 you know that automatic mechanism is potentially causing risk and yeah. we need to revisit it. So we need to revisit it for sure. Yeah. Uh, stakeholder analysis, of course. What what caught my attention in Dr. Afzali's report was, quote, hospitalist leaders were to be invited to the antibiotic stewardship meeting in April so they can speak to their concerns, but this did not happen. Uh, so I guess that's my question. Uh, was the venue given for voice to be uh, given and then it was chosen to not be? Dr. Afzali, do you have commentary on that statement that you put? I think that was a miscommunication between the committee members and the physicians that wanted to be invited to that committee. Got it. Um, so I've uh, after the meeting, I promised to play the middleman and make sure that that invitation happens for May. Wonderful. And that, that would be great follow-up and, and making sure that everyone can voice their perspectives uh, on this issue. Trustees, and uh, uh, I thought I saw it. Was that Trustee Banerjee? Yeah, I had, I had a follow-up question. And again, um, you know, more about the kind of decision-making around that. You did say that there were clinical um, repercussion, you know, clinical drivers for this, uh, but just kind of to see where are there, you know, conversations about what would be the um, downstream effects of this. I mean, more our biggest, biggest obligation is do no harm. And I think the over-prescribing of antibiotics is one thing, but um, when you don't have a, you know, um, microbiological team on campus, like what does that do for patient care? What does that do when there's an automatic stoppage of that? And, um, you know, what kind of harm that might be that we don't even uh, consider those as harm because they might not fall in the A to I, but um, where our systems or structures might be having differentiated impacts on patients because of some of this. I hope there's, you know, consideration of that that's happening because like these two things both together, um, are, you know, when the folks who are on the ground because you, there's training involved and accountabilities that need to come into that, but removing something, um, I hope there's, you know, really good thought around equity um, when something is uh, removed from a site or services removed from a site. Thank great comments, Trustee Banerjee. Doc, Dr. Tornabene, back to you. And again, apologies for granularity of this, this question. This three-day antibiotic cutoff rule, is this practice at, is this a system practice? Is it variant for San Leandro? Does Alameda and, do Alameda and Highland do it the same way? It's the same way. Last huh. time I was, yeah, when I'm on service, I see the alerts and the expiring okay. medication. So it's it's a rule across the system. And so, so uh, Dr. Zali, uh, uh, I, I would assert this is a discussion to have with your hospitalists as we try to reduce variance within the system. And then what are the unintended consequences? So what I think I heard from our CMO was this is the practice at Alameda and Highland. And so, oh, so I can I can provide a little bit additional detail. So that all of this practice had actually gone through the entire governance process, meaning through from antimicrobial stewardship to PNT to CPC to MEC, and had been approved. And then um, I think in the practice of it, um, once it was um, put into production, 
I think in practice it was found, you know, that our, our hospitalists in using it have raised these concerns about the risk of antibiotics falling off the MR. Um, so I, I think what we're hearing is, is at least the way I'm framing it is that this is governance working. Yes. Is that you know we that we're hearing the concerns and we're revisiting it again. Yes, I I I actually think that's that's great. So that uh, I love your comments on governance working, and then we get to remassage things as we go. Uh, they're always sort of unintended consequences. And uh, as the great 1980s philosopher Mike Tyson said, um, everyone has a plan till they get punched in the face. Um, so, uh, 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 so I think we get to adapt and evolve. So thank you for uh, addressing that, Dr. Abzali. We'll look forward to further comment. Um, tr trustees, uh, uh, Trustee Jensen had mentioned one last thing, a uh, question regarding the metrics and how our, uh, our staff were able to manage that with uh, being short staff, I just wanted to say, uh, well, in short, because they do amazing work and because they are uh, emergency providers and, and team members, uh, we roll with the punches. Um, and so when there's work to be done, they do work. Uh, as the message yesterday suggested, um, you know, they didn't take breaks. I, I did end up sending food, by the way. I was uh, working off-site, but I made sure food got there. What did you um, send them? Uh, I sent them a mountain mics. Mountain mics. Okay, decent. <laughs> but yeah, uh, <laughs> and the, the staffing shortages are not every day. Uh, these, are, these tend to happen, and we tend to hear about it when it's on critical days. Yesterday was almost 90 patients for the ED, which is a very high-volume day. And being short-staffed on a day like that is, is, is tough for anyone, uh, so I feel for them. Um, and therefore, I felt obligated to share. Yes, sir. Thank you for looking after your staff, Dr. Sali. Um, going around the uh, visually looking around trustees, any other comments on Dr. Fazali's report? Thank you, Dr. Fazali. Good evening, Dr. Joshi. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having me today. Uh, my report is also submitted in your packet. And I just want to start off with quality and patient safety. Um, a few of the leaders, myself included, were able to attend the beta conference that was held a few weeks ago. Um, I particularly appreciated being able to join this conference because it was about what to do with communication and transparencies, especially around rapid events response. Uh, essentially, when something bad happens, unexpected happens, how to deal with it um, as soon as possible, how to communicate with patients. So I thought that it was a particularly great conference to be able to attend. Uh, in terms of operations, um, I have Transfer Council listed as the top one. We've been working with Huron um, and our Transfer Council leadership uh, for some time. This week was our second several hour meeting that was in person group session to review current practices. Uh, we've made a lot of headway in pathways that are critical for our patients. Um, some pathways had already been established that we were able to re-examine and some pathways do not currently exist that we have escalated the need for. So in particular, one pathway that still needs to be worked out is what to do when there is an inpatient somewhere within our system that needs to be transferred for a higher level of care. Most of the time we discuss this in terms of a patient admitted to Alameda or San Leandro that may need specialty care that's not available such as neurosurgery and they may need to go to Highland. 
Um, a patient such as that is unable to go to the Highland Emergency Department due to regulatory limitations. So how can we quickly get that patient over? So this pathway is being worked upon. It involves being able to rapidly uh, open up a bed within the Highland inpatient unit. So a lot of progress has been made. Um, a lot of work has been done already on behalf of this, including our nursing leadership um, involving regulatory and NILDA's team. Um, but until that pathway is finalized, we still have some work to do. So I wanna highlight that as an opportunity. Um, our emergency department at Alameda has, already, has also been increasing in volume and we are benefiting from having better collaboration with our AIM leadership. And so that's been good, but we've had uh, issues and challenges in throughput hospital-wide uh, because of staffing shortages and also shortages that have included our availability of echo, ultrasound, vascular, and MRI. Um, I am happy to say that as of um, the last few days, our issues with regards to echo availability at Alameda Hospital has been addressed. We now have the staffing that we used to have previously, which is six days a week of echo coverage, which is excellent. Before this, a patient at Alameda Hospital who needed an echo, if a tech was not available, had to actually go to Highland Hospital meaning this inpatient had to have a discharge summary written by the AIM doctor, sent over to Highland, transportation had to be arranged, and then brought back, readmitted. So it led to some significant inefficiencies and patient safety concerns, but that has been addressed. Um, we continue to work upon our sterile processing workflow for surgical equipment and know that our current process is uh, temporary. So we'll see what the permanent solution will look like, but we know that will take many months to determine. Medication reconciliation has been an issue at Alameda Hospital, but we've been working with our pharmacy leadership and now have bi-weekly meetings looking and addressing this issue. And happy to say that we had a meeting today which showed that we have made some pretty significant gains in our adherence to the requirement of medication reconciliation occurring for all admitted patients within 24 hours. So I wanna highlight our pharmacy team at Alameda Hospital uh, with Gene Ra in particular leading the way there. Some strengths, um, as a system, we adhere to just culture. We've had many communications recently um, from our leadership, including Mr. James Jackson about the importance of just culture. It's important that we know that this is not a name only, but that we practice it every day. So I'm happy that that's something that we talk about regularly and implement regularly across all levels of our system. It is National Nurses Week and we celebrate our nurses. And um, to that, I wanna kind of skip down to that topic with some of the key concerns that we have. Our nurses are important. Uh, short staffing impacts us all. Dr. Zali made that point in his report. This also impacts us at Alameda Hospital. Uh, for the last few months, we've had openings in our nursing that have been difficult to fill. We know that our nurse leadership are working with HR and recruitment, but filling these positions have been a challenge. It's nationwide a challenge, but in particular in our system. So I encourage the board to think what we could do outside of the box to help recruit nurses to these very important positions. But recruitment is not the only thing. We also need to support our nurses. We need to foster leadership amongst our nurses. We need to retain our nurses. Uh, we have a lot of turnover, especially with our nursing leadership. Uh, the Alameda ED um, nurse manager position has had a lot of turnover. 
Um, our current nurse leader will be moving on to a different opportunity. And so I want to highlight that we need excellent nurses. We need to keep the excellent nurses that we have, but we also need to keep the ones that we have and maybe even consider what leadership training could look like within our system to build up the great nurses that we have that we can keep them. Uh, staffing shortages go beyond our nurses. We have had open tech positions at Alameda Hospital, um, and we are considering other changes to positions such as our clerk positions. Um, every decision that we make um, needs to be weighed, of course. There are um, real issues that have to be considered, but I hope that as a board that we can consider patient safety first and foremost in every decision that we made. And again, I just want to reiterate, we need to support our nurses. We need to support, keep, retain, and foster leadership amongst our nurses. Um, and um, I also want to add that for AB 2904 about the seismic requirements for Alameda Hospital, enclosed within your packet is a letter of support that the Alameda Hospital MEC wrote. And I know that the board also supports this. So I appreciate all that we do in that regard as well. And that's the conclusion of my report. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you for your report, Dr. Joshi. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Joshi? I, uh, can I speak, Dr. Chair? Uh, of always, Trustee Esteem, go for it. I appreciate your closing remarks, Dr. Joshi, about uh, taking care of the nurses, uh, especially after hearing so much public comment and uh, you know concerns about staffing and whatnot. Um, and I, I don't know the last time we heard a, an update about our nurse education program. I think we have like two nurse educators and things of that nature. But bearing in mind the, the discussion to come tonight about our strategic plan and uh, promoting people from within, uh, I can't help but make the connection between staff morale and promoting people from within. And just want to say that I appreciate your uh, emphasis on the need to take care of staff. And uh, I look forward to hearing about our strategic plan and how that all goes into play. Thank you, Trustee Esteen. Trustees, other comments or questions of Dr. Joshi? Dr. Uh, uh, Trustee Banerjee, go for it. Um, I wanted to say thanks to all three of you for such good reports. And Dr. Joshi would love to see the AIM leadership physicians sometimes come and give uh, you know, share at the board level to we hear from EBMG. We know there are other position groups over here as well and would love to um, hear from them um, as well. And huge gratitude to the nurses. It's not just during nurses week, but every every day of the year for the, for the incredible work they do. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Other trustees? Dr. Joshi, here's a question. Um, if you got to do one thing to support nursing leadership, you had the golden pen and you had the signature authority, what would it be? I think it would be staffing because if the day-to-day -day patient care um, can't be addressed because of staffing shortages, then it's hard for our leaders to lead. It's hard to ask them to implement um, new projects, pathways. It's hard to ask them 
um, to address quality issues. And I say this from experience that, you know, things like our door to EKG times, that's not a novel concept. That's something that's, you know, looked upon nationwide. Our door to CT, door to TPA administration for our stroke program, Nalameda Hospital is a stroke center. Um, but we've had now for so long had staffing shortages that it's hard for our leaders to work and make gains in those areas uh, because the day-to-day -day itself is so much to take care of. Um, it's a huge mental toll. Uh, it's not every day that they're dealing with staffing shortages. It's every shift. So almost every four to eight hours, phone calls are being made. Um, nurses are being asked to come in. There's a huge you know, drive to get people who are already working hard to keep working harder. So if I were to do anything for our leaders, it would be staffing. And I, I also wanna go back to the education educator point. Um, we now do have our educators at AHS and that's a huge gain from where we were a year ago. Um, but do we have educators specifically for Alameda and San Leandro Hospital? And I'm not quite sure if we're there yet. And so the educators that we do have are already being spread significantly thin. And so while these positions are getting filled, we have to be careful not overburden the very few who are already in those positions. But at the same time, what that means is that there's still gaps that are not being addressed. We have educators, but we need more educators. Um, I would say to support our nursing leaders, um, these are the ways that I would do it. Thank you very much. I, I see that our chief nursing officer, uh, Ms. Uh, Roe Lofton has her hand up. Uh, Dr. Lofton, please go for it. I thank you. No, I just want to um, echo a little bit of what Dr. Joshi is mentioning. Um, and also, um, I think Trustee Esteen touched on it as well about the education department. So what we're seeing, um, we're, we're doing a lot with our recruitment efforts, not only for our frontline staff, but also for our leadership team. And um, on top of that, there's a lot of work being done to create a culture of accountability. Um, we know that we, we've had, we have some issues with AHS and um, we're really trying to change a lot of, we're doing a lot of culture work and we're trying to create a culture of, account, of accountability. But the other thing that we're starting to see, um, and I think we talked about this a little bit last week um, in the finance committee, is that um, it's really shifting with nursing, that we're not seeing nurses wanting to take full-time jobs. Um, we're seeing a lot of them wanting to do gig work, which is, you know, um, either travel assignments or um, taking um taking jobs that are like a 0.6 or even per diem. We've had some of our nurses step down um, and, and go to per diem. And so that has presented a challenge. And the other thing we're starting to really see now is the effect of COVID. And so although we're not seeing a lot of patients in the hospital with COVID, our staff is being severely affected by COVID. Um, their children are being affected and um, it's it's kind of, it's eroding our staffing on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, as it's been mentioned by Dr. Joshi, as well as Dr. Avzali, uh, where we've had some challenges, they're exactly right. Um, and with that, I think the nation is having those challenges. Um, we have partnered with our um, HR team and looking at a variety of ways to bring new staff on board. We've um, worked with our staff to help us with training and education as we're trying to fill that gap. 
And um, I think that there's a lot of promise there, but as we're moving forward, we're also still dealing with the challenges that the rest of the nation is dealing with, which is the staffing challenges and shortages for nursing. So I just wanted to just add some context to that as well. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much for those comments. And uh, as, a, as was told by one old, old trustees, uh, if you're not measuring it, you're not managing it. So this is mm -hmm. something that we need to be thoughtful about measuring it. Do we have a dashboard item for percent of shifts unfilled or not staffed. That, uh, I, I put that out to the trustees to consider because this seems to be a consistent theme across a bunch of services, be it John George, be it Alameda Hospital, San Leandro Hospital, REDs. So uh, as, as we move forward on our respective committees, think about what items would be helpful, would help us manage these, these issues. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Uh, so with that, I think I'm going to- uh, Sorry, uh, uh, Trustee Seen, was that you? Yeah, you know, yes, ma'am. Thank you, thank you for mentioning the committees because I know our chair of the HR committee is not attending tonight. Uh, but uh, I know the staffing shortages are very intense uh, nationwide, and I wonder uh, because we see the trends. We know that majority of nurses are women, and as we talked about women's health earlier, and uh, the Supreme Court, and we know that. Oftentimes, policies have been created by men. Uh, it begs the question about how are we incentivizing women to come into our workforce here at AHS? And how are we recognizing the trend for people wanting part-time jobs? Uh, are we creating more positions that include FTEs that are 0.6 so we can have guaranteed staffing? Are we continuing to pay more for registry? and for per diem than we are for uh, people with a combined benefits package so that they can come in and be permanent staff. You know, are, are we looking for solutions that are permanent or are we looking for solutions that are transient? And are we budgeting those items because the budget will help to drive the staffing? Very Maybe thoughtful. we can have a bigger discussion in strategy and a bigger discussion in HR, but you know, those are the questions that I wonder about. And they are excellent questions. and. Uh, uh, for, for the those, those of us who attend the HR committee meeting, this is this is a combination. All these committees move together, right? This relates to quality, safe, uh, an understaffed uh, staff challenges safety. This affects operations. This affects HR. Uh, it puts us at risk for for regulatory issues if we're not hitting our staffing ratios. So it's all it's all intertwined. So thank you for being on many of those committees where we will continue to have these discussions. I believe you sit on HR committee. So uh, if you can help us remind our, our HR committee chair, this is a, a, an item of continuing discussion. With that trustees, I see no further hands. Let's close out item C. Uh, item D is, is a relatively new item. I think we're like in month two or three about it. This is uh, an East Bay medical group update. As everyone knows, the East Bay Medical Group is of uh, significant strategic importance to this organization. Uh, you know, it was it was born July 1st, uh, 2020, and uh, we're continuing. We have Dr. Chitra Kilasfarin. I don't know if Dr. Bernice Perez, who's the EBMG chair, is in the room, but Dr. Kilasfarin's here to give us a regular update. This is a fixed agenda item on every board meeting. Uh, Dr. Kilasfarin, good evening again. Good evening, everyone. Um, let me go ahead and put this into slideshow mode. Can folks see my screen? 
loading. There you go. Okay, great. Wonderful. Um, thank you for hearing the comments earlier um, from my colleagues and myself. Um, I don't think more needs to be said at this point, mm -hmm. but we look forward to advancing that, um, that dialogue at AHS. I was told that um, the trustees would like a little bit of more background about EBMG, um, East Bay Medical Group. So I'm going to step back and kind of start with organizational structure and um, some facts and figures. Um, I shared some of this um, last year, but I, can, I certainly have some updates. Um, and then a little bit of future directions for tonight's um, uh, presentation. So you may, may have seen this slide before, but um, at AHS, we have a number of pathways for physicians to be employed and privileged at our system to, to provide services. Um, as we know, um, our system reports to you all. We have the medical staff reporting to our system. And then we have a number of different, um, like I said, pathways for employment. So we have represented physicians who are employed directly by the system. We have unrepresented physicians employed directly by the system who are mostly in leadership positions. We have contracted physicians who also potentially provide services at other locations or may have private practices or community practices who um, provide services um, in our facilities. Um, we have some of those contracts that are exclusively contracted with us, so they don't work anywhere else. But um, we have contracts with, for example, folks that are employed by UCSF who have been providing services with us in um, areas of surgery for a number of years. And then we have East Bay Medical Group that was formed in um, July of 2020. And um, East Bay Medical Group is now um, the largest physician employer at AHS. So just to, to provide the numbers, we have 286 um, providers, mostly physicians. We have a handful of PAs who actually a couple of whom, a few of whom will be moving to AHS shortly um, to join um, uh, existing union representation. Um, we have 187 FTE and 99 SAM physicians. Um, and this does not include all the other pathways that I mentioned in the previous slide. Amongst these 286 physicians um, and uh, clinicians, uh, we have 25 specialty areas represented who um, cover services at all of our facilities, almost all of our facilities, and our do not exceed amount per the vote in February is 84 to $85 million, which we are not at. Most of that is simply labor costs for our clinicians. So the next slides will have a lot of numbers, but I'll try to give the highlights. Um, I did a comparison of um, uh, just sort of our provider counts um, in terms of our totals, um, our hires, our departures, and our open positions at the end of uh, 2021 and where we are in, uh, right now in May of 2022. Um, and I want to just provide um, some, again, some highlights of, of these numbers. So. Um, we have a number of people onboarding. Our growth actually over the last, um, I would say one to two years is quite significant. Um, we are expecting an increase in headcount of about 100 providers um, from the beginning of 2021 to the end of 2022. Um, so our expected headcount is, is about 350 um, by the end of the year. Th that being said, we had quite a bit of attrition last year, and I think you all know that, um, which is why uh, we come to you in February to ask for um, some reprieve around compensation and really creating a robust compensation structure that would en uh, enable retention of our existing providers. Um, we've never seen rates of attrition that high, just anecdotally in the past, um, and certainly the, the interviews that I conducted demonstrated that there was a lot of disillusionment with um, the system and um, uh, dissatisfaction, which we're seeing turnaround. Um, so while we are on track uh, per the numbers to hit similar numbers as last year with 23 departures last year of our staff physicians, 
Um, we've had 11 departures this year so far. Um, I'm not seeing um, notices of additional departures come in. So I'm expecting that this number will slow um, and that we're not gonna see that level of attrition this year. Um, the, the one thing I wanna draw attention to is just how, how are we growing the organization to support the headcount increases? Um, our total staff is 3.8 FTE, including myself. Um, and we do have a lot of support in back office functions from AHS, for example, finance, HR, legal, et cetera. Um, but there is some need for dedicated staff, especially to further the vision of the future organization. And that vision is still being, in, being developed, but as it gets developed, I think being able to have dedicated staff for um, our physician group will be very important. So we have a number of open positions and the blue positions at the top, um, no need to read through all the different specialties, this will be um, in your board packet shortly, are recently approved. So we are not just um, filling existing okay, positions, well, basically, yeah. growing about to do it. Some of these searches are tasked to an outside search firm and some of them are being conducted internally. What I will say that given the level of growth that we are experiencing, without having dedicated physician recruiting, um, it will be challenging to fill these positions. I think in the past we operated in this very word of mouth type model because we were smaller. We were much, we functioned much more like a community hospital, even at Highland. Um, and now we are looking at a three hospital system with multiple ancillary facilities and we are turning into a more professional organization and we'll need actual professional recruiting services to support that. So that's something I'm in conversation with Lorna Jones about, um, our CHRO, but also again, having dedicated resources to advancing our objectives around staffing um, on the physician side will be very important. Um, I was asked to provide an FTE breakdown by specialty. And so again, this will be referenced um, in your board packet shortly, but um, you can see the distribution of specialties here. And many specialties have between two and four um, providers. So if you're thinking about an on-call schedule, you're talking about people being on call every other night or every fourth night, um, which is quite unsustainable at some point. Um, of course, there was a model in the past, which we still, still see among some of our senior clinicians who took call 365 days a year. Um, but that was a very different model. I think there's a gendered component to that model to some extent. And so um, sort of um, in respect to the, the last comments about how we support a more diverse workforce um, that is composed of women, but also people with other obligations, caregiving obligations, and also just coming from different backgrounds, different financial necessities, um, we are gonna need to support more flexible models of staffing. And um, you know, being on call every other night is just not gonna be possible for most people. Um, so, you know, I've made a big push about never having a single provider specialty ever again um, and with creating some redundancy in specialties that we know are growing. So we have about 212 FTE budgeted at this point. Um, and then we have a number of specialties that are not falling within East Bay Medical Group at all, um, either contracted or employed through one of the other pathways I described. And so I just wanted to talk about some of the challenges of having such fragmented employment models for our physicians across the system. It's something that probably evolved over time by necessity, um, by the need to sort of expand services quickly. But now that we can, I'd like to take, for us to take a little bit more of a thoughtful approach to how do we wanna create a physician workforce that really drives the outcomes that we wanna see for our patients. And so um, creating single standards of care is very difficult when you have so many different physicians employed in so many different models with so many different types of contracts. Um, rolling out practice changes is also very, very difficult in, in that environment. And I'm experiencing this firsthand as is, um, are some of our other physician leaders. 
And so in terms of just a brief um, uh, kind of preview as to next steps for the organization, um, I'm really hoping to drive an initiative around building an inclusive physician identity at AHS and having East Bay Medical Group lead that charge. And this is in response to our member survey. So we actually um, surveyed our physicians both um, January of 2021, which revealed pretty significant um, concerns about attrition at that time. And then again in January of 2022 um, to actually see where we were trending. And some of the information we collected was around demographic information, but also around just feedback around the organization that we can start tracking to determine, are we gonna be losing people? Are we gonna see turnover and should we anticipate that? Um, and so some of the information we gleaned in comparing the two years include the fact that we are seeing a trend towards more senior clinicians, which is something that we really wanted. Um, if you can look on the right side of the, the screen, you'll see that last year, more than 50% of our physicians at East Bay Medical Group had been at AHS for less than five years. Um, and so you can, th th that's just not a, a deep investment in the organization and there's, they're more prone to turnover when um, they're much younger in their careers. And we also need to provide the mentorship required for those junior um, physicians. Um, that, is, that is changing. We're able to recruit more senior clinicians, especially with the new comp structure that we've put into place. We also um, surveyed our, um, our employees around race break breakdown, as well as caregiver status, um, just to inform what kind of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging activities we need to engage in, and the types of benefits that we need to provide to keep our physicians um, happy. Um, and so you can see some of that, um, that data here as well. And our goal is really to, to reflect the, the representation of our patients. Um, so that is something that we'll be looking to continue to measure and potentially have some initiatives around um, in the coming months. And so I, I ran a net promoter score as well. I'd like to trend this over time. And the question was how likely is it with, that you would um, recommend East Bay Medical Group as an employer to a colleague or friend um, and I'm, you know, I think there's there's a there's a adage that um, if you're if you're not putting out information fast, if you're not embarrassed by the information that you're putting out, you're probably not putting it out fast enough. Um, and so um, I am putting out embarrassing information here, which is that um, our NPS was minus 14, which is, you know, I had to put it on some sort of benchmark. So comparing ourselves to Comcast is probably the best we can do. Um, we'd like to be at a Costco level, of course. Um, and so if people aren't familiar with a net promoter score, it's basically a scale of one to 10. Um, promoters are thought to be between nine and 10, detractors are zero to six, and neutral folks are seven and eight. You subtract the percent of detractors from the promoters and you get your score. So you can have a score between minus 100 and 100. Um, so this is something that we'll be tracking um, annually. And fortunately, there is something that we can do about it. So. Um, Bain and Company released a report that I've been taking pretty seriously around how to create an inclusive culture. Um, and they define inclusion as the feeling of belonging in your organization and team, feeling treated with dignity as an individual, and feeling encouraged to fully participate and bring your team to work every day. As we know, diversity is not enough. Um, we need to build inclusion. Inclusive organizations have an easier time attracting talent. And we have that opportunity to define what inclusion means for us as physicians in this organization. Um, I wanted to give the example of where I trained. I went to medical school at Harvard and did my third year um, clerkship rotations at Mass General. And I just remember walking to that building for the first time and there was such a sense of pride there. People were wearing the swag. They were just proud to be um, employees of Mass General Hospital. I know there's a lot of 
complexity to that institution in terms of the history and what it represents, but it was a place where people um, wanted to come to work every day and declare that they were proud employees. And I would love for us to be a place where physicians feel that way about AHS as well. And so the Bain article actually had this very important graph in it where they showed that fully inclusive organizations are about 14 times more likely to produce promoters on the net promoter um, uh, score scale. Um, and so if we can build an inclusive organization, we are likely to see that NPS change. So I have some next steps here. We're gonna be putting together a committee to start brainstorming and reacting to the article, um, trying to define what our physician identity looks like um, determining some activities we can do immediately this year to help build a more inclusive organization. Um, and, and those will be our next steps at this point. Um, so I welcome questions. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Achilles Warren? Yes, I have a question. Go, go for it, Trustee Jensen. Oh, I have two questions. Um, first of all, how was the decision made to when to engage a search firm for a specialty? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I worked uh, with Dr. Trenabene on this um, as we realized how many open physician positions that we had and how many unfilled positions had been vacant for more than a year, more than two years, and how much difficulty we were having in, in doing searches just through our own networks. That just wasn't working anymore. And um, some of our smaller specialties, particularly surgical specialties, where we just don't have a lot of trainees coming out of this part of the country, we would need to have a more national search to, to um, access candidates. And so we interviewed a couple of search firms probably about six months ago um, and retained one of them and decided on which positions would be tasked to the search firm. And so we've, been, had some, we've actually had some success in, in filling some of those positions as a result. Trustee Jensen, you're on, you're on mute. Okay, it's on a position by position, specialist by specialist. Um, okay, exactly. That's yeah. And um, I in a related question, you you mentioned the contracted that there, there it, it looks as though there are a number of um, of employed and contracted positions in the same specialty. So you'll have pediatricians that are both contracted and employed. Is that um, challenging? Can you just touch on some of the challenges of that? of those um, arrangements? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think this, again, evolved over time just by need of um, having to um, acquiring new facilities, having to staff new facilities and figuring out how to um, uh, bring on providers to, to do that staffing. Um, but, you know, some of those specialties like primary care and pediatrics are split between um, employed by AHS contracted and, um, you know, employed by EBMG providers. And it's quite challenging from all perspectives, from a leadership perspective to manage people on different contracts, um, what hours they can work, what hours they can't work, what kinds of shifts they can fill, what their scope of work is, having to deal with multiple unions, um, and also figuring out how, to do, how do we create some parity in um, things like compensation and benefits. It's very, very difficult. Not to mention when we actually talk about quality of care and driving performance, how do we set standards across all of those different entities um, will, be, will be challenging. So I think there is a vision there was a vision for this organization for East Bay Medical Group, which was to be a unified um, employer, employer for, for most, if not all of our physicians at AHS. Um, and I think we have to think carefully about how to do that, of course, by res while respecting the various employment arrangements that exist. But I do think for this um, in service of our patients, 
having um, less of this fragmented um, employment, these employment pathways would be beneficial. Absolutely, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's, that there's attention to that to that point, that's, that's critical. My final um, question, well, it's not, um, I guess, with regard to the, um, the recruitment issues and the challenges recruiting specialists, we at, at Highland Hospital, especially in particular, there must be some requirements for trauma one to have filled positions, to have filled um, specialists and, and access to specialists. So has that impacted at all our, our certification for either for trauma one or for any other um, certifications? At, fortunately, knock on wood, not at this point, but it is something that we are acutely aware of. Um, there are certain positions that if we lose the ability to provide those services, we will lose certification. And um, those are areas that we are, I mean, trauma is one area, for example, that we actually just approved to almost double that, that specialties um, staffing so that we can make sure we have enough redundancy and, not, and are not relying on contractors that may disappear at any point. We actually had about 50% of our orthopedic surgery contractors leave in the last year, which has left our staff providers. We have four staff providers that are covering three hospitals for trauma call um, 365 days a year, and it's unsustainable. They're willing to do it um, for the time being, but they're really looking forward to some relief when they can bring on two or three more colleagues. Um, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kilswan. And I just, in closing, I just want to say how much I appreciate and how great it is to see that you um, and Dr. Tronabene, the CMO, that the, the the relationship and the and the communication and the the support for um, within and support for both of your positions and for each other. That's really in my eight years on the board. That's very refreshing to see, and, and I'm so happy that 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 um, relationship is, is working out so well for the organization. Thank you. It really is, thank you. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Trustee Friedman's hand. I'm always happy to see Trustee Friedman's hand come up. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, most esteemed chair. <laughs> uh, I imagine in our recruiting, the cost of housing here is a major barrier. Is there anything in particular creative, innovative we could do to assist with that and make a transition for somebody coming from another part of the country to uh, deal with their sticker shock? Thank you, thank you for mentioning that. Um, it is something that comes up in almost every conversation. Um, I, I negotiate most of our, our, our new um, provider contracts actually. And so the benefits do come up particularly around housing. We don't have anything that we offer today. Um, as you may know, um, we just implemented pretty um, significant family benefits last year, um, fully paid parental leave, fertility and adoption benefits, um, and an improved disability and life insurance plan. And certainly looking at how we continue to support families, caregivers, and folks that are moving, um, you know, all of their folks um, to, to um, this part of the country from lower cost areas of the countries is gonna be very, very important. In fact, I think we are um, unable to access certain candidates because they don't wanna to move to a high cost of living area and housing is a barrier. But we could look at models. Um, I don't think we can do what Kaiser does and offer a full down payment, um, but I do think we can look at models where we can partner with banks potentially and um, provide some sort of support around um, accessing mortgages and whatnot. Thank you. Trustee Friedman, there's a new boarding program at your house. <laughs> Come on we forgot, down. We, we forgot to tell you about that. 
All right. Um, uh, <laughs> Mass required. <laughs> Trustee Banerjee, then Trustee Fox. Thank you, Dr. Akilasaram. It's always great to hear updates and the many ways in which uh, EBMG is really strengthening its governance as well as its operational and uh, strategic um, muscle uh, muscles through this. Wanted to know in the race data that you gave really, um, and you said that that was one of your um, priorities to see that our physicians reflect our population. So as you're working with these search firms and things, are there things that you're doing specifically to recruit like Black and Latinx um, physicians? That was one question. And the other thing was that our own, in our own backyard, UC Berkeley's uh, Othering and Belonging Institute led by Dr. John Powell has just this amazing work about creating cultures of belonging and one additional aspect to the uh, to the definition of belonging was not only do you have a profound sense of like affirmation of all your as your whole person but you feel you can contribute but you also feel entitled to make demands of the uh, that, that there is a sense of uh, you know um, of, of, of agency that one has in the organization to feel that not only am I contributing, but I can actually expect that this system will work for me, will be flowing of me. So um, as you're working on like DEI things, often having, um, you know, I love McKinsey and I love Bailey and I love them. Uh, and sometimes the best practices that come from there are not culturally as universals and, and and so just making sure that as you're thinking about EI and the EI and as you're thinking about that, like and going on organizations, things, uh, other places that really do um, work that is that builds multiracial solidarity that actually looks at different ways of knowing that looks at many many ways of cultural congruency that. That create enabling conditions and cultivate the uh, organizational cultures that are affirming of you know, all of the intersectional margin, um, marginalizations because we know that, like others, the healthcare system works very much with marginalized and minoritized populations. And so, as you're thinking about that, all of this, I, I, I yeah, I love this main article very much. I think it's it's about spot on, and I think our heady committee and others are also thinking about a lot of um, trainings and things <clears throat> that our own internal trainings that we can't do the field facing health equity work if we aren't kind of building our own muscle constantly, and it's a, it's a lifelong um, journey to be doing that. But, some of our resources there and we'd, we'd love to get what you guys are doing there and share what, what's happening from the other parts of the system as well. Thank, thank you so much for the comments. I would love to um, learn more about the Belonging Institute and maybe even have them contribute to some of the work we're trying to do around inclusion and belonging. Um, I, I'll, I'll contact you afterwards about that. As far as your first question, what are we doing to, to support diverse recruiting? Um, so there's a few things. One is that we're requiring every candidate to actually submit a diversity statement um, as part of their initial um, application, um, particularly for leadership positions. 
Um, the second is um, we're making sure that we're um, posting our positions and recruiting from um, historically minoritized um, uh, medical um, associations. Um, so we're actively trying to source candidates from, from um, SNMA or um, NMA and uh, some of the other medical associations that were developed in response to being excluded from historically white medical associations, professional associations. Um, I think the third is um, making sure that we are not stopping the recruiting process and have enough candidates in the pipeline so that there is a diverse um, set of candidates to choose from. Um, and then I would say just on the challenge of um, having a search firm, uh, you know, it was not, not our first choice to, to go with the search firm. Of course, having recruiting in-house would be even better because we can actually determine, um, you know, what sorts of candidates we want to select from. Um, and so, you know, I do think that we communicated that to the search firm um, uh, to, to help us. I mean, we have gotten diverse candidates from them, in fact. Um, but, you know, being able to bring that in-house and actually um, make sure that we're not only just um, broadly um, advocating for diversity, but actually advocating for diversity in areas that we know our patients require um, would be even more powerful. So um, that's another plug for trying to not outsource recruiting um, and bring that bring that in-house. Thank you. That's a, that's a really good, thoughtful process. Thank you for sharing. Thanks, Trustee Vanity. Trustee Fox, sir. Uh, for Dr. Akila Swaran and also for council, uh, community hospitals have had the ability to make uh, forgivable recruitment loans to physicians and also forgivable loans for re real estate acquisition. Uh, is that option available to us as a county funded hospital? Trustee Boxco, uh, I think what you're referring to are the star clause. I think there is a way to um, tailor the arrangements to be able to offer the loans that you sort of laid out there. So I think is that is that something that EBMG can do and and do we uh, do we use that as a as a recruiting tool? Well, uh, I don't think we do that now. Uh, Dr. Kilsworn can chime in on that, but I don't think we provide that currently. We, we don't do that today, but what I will say is um, we're looking at um, particularly retaining from our residency training programs um, the um, vastly diverse, um, you know, underrepresented physicians that we actually train in our own system that actually leave and go elsewhere because of the cost of living, because of their financial burdens of their families, because they're first generation college students and have a lot of loans. And being able to provide financial support for them in their early years of being an attending would be very powerful. So we're actually meeting about this next week. Um, we'll probably develop some sort of proposal so that we can extend some financial reprieve for those individuals who, um, you know, can't afford to take a job that is not paying at the maximum of the market um, when they're when they're first starting out. Well, I think it might be worthwhile to look into these forgivable, you know, forgivable loans. They require sometimes some degree of um, administration and they're legally not simple, uh, but they do aid a, a great deal in the recruitment process under the right circumstances. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Fox. There is, Trustee Fox, there is no, uh, uh, there is no ban based on, on AHS being a public agency or the okay. hospitals. So, so we can do it from a tax perspective. It'll be from a star law perspective. Of okay. A, a tantalizing discussion for Dr. Achilles Warren, isn't it? So um, uh, trying to take us through it, what, what I'll say is, I mean this in the most complimentary way, Dr. Achilles Warren is a data nerd. 
And yeah. uh, I, I, I love that about her. Uh, EBMG is lucky to have her in their charge. Uh, uh, so uh, wouldn't it be nice if we, if, this is a contemplation, not necessarily a comment. Wouldn't it be nice if the report she gave on EBMG, which outlined uh, you know, 286 providers, 187 FTE, broken down by division, broken down by this, broken down by race, broken down by years. Wouldn't it be nice if we had the full spectrum understanding of all providers who worked in our system? Uh, she can present on the budget, but there are other elements in our system for which I'm not sure that Dr. Achilles Warren has access to those data. But those kind of general reports would be, I think, very helpful to um, for the board to hear. Dr. Achilles Warren can report that her budget was, I can't remember, 86 million. You know, we're a $1.1 billion organization. So we're probably talking about 7%, 7.5% of operating expenses here. And so understanding the full scope of all those other contracts and creating parity with them, I think is a great opportunity for this organization. So um, I'll just make that comment out there floating. It would be nice to have a full understanding of the scope of our provider resources here. And I know that there, there are some pieces of data Dr. Killis Warren may or may not have access to, but it, it, it would be, I think, helpful for our, our general understanding. Um, with that, uh, I, I'm not stewarding an on-time meeting, but we'll move off. Thank you, Dr. Achilles Warren. We'll close out item D. We'll go to item E, committee and trustee reports. I'm relying on trustee Fox to help me get, get through this one on time. Um, item E1 is the human resources committee uh, meeting uh, from April 20th, 2022. Uh, Louisa Blue is the chair. She's not here this evening. We'll therefore defer that report. Item number two is the QPSC committee, which was done on April 27th, 2022. I chair that committee, but I was replaced by the uh, ever capable uh, trustee Banerjee that evening because I was uh, getting off a plane. Um, I'm, I'm gonna quickly say that the, that the QPSC did its regular work of uh, approving credentialing policies and procedures, hearing quality reports and the like. Uh, I was able to catch uh, our, our regular standing agenda item uh, on quality, which was actually complex care. It was a really complex discussion and it highlights a great opportunity. Um, uh, I think Dr. Uh, Trustee Banerjee ran a great meeting that night. So I'll open it up for any questions or comments for that, for that committee. Trustee Banerjee probably has a little greater detail if there are any. <clears throat> No, you covered it. It was, uh, you know, we didn't have quorum initially. We missed uh, Trustee Jensen um, in that meeting, but it was a very, very informational and very rich meeting. And I think that I think we made plans to have some of these conversations come to the full board. It was really relevant to have that. But um, And thank you, Trustee you Manerji. You encapsulated the overall. And thank you for running that meeting. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, it was, you did it externally capable. So with that, we'll close out item E1, E2, E3, the Finance Committee of May 4, 2022, Trustee Fox. All right, I'll make this as brief as possible. Favorable financial results continue in March. Uh, net income was $11.5 million. Uh, both inpatient and outpatient charges were above budget. The collection percentage was 19% versus 16.9 budget. Um, and supplemental uh, programs were $8 million above budget, uh, contributing to that uh, 
uh, favorable variance. Year to date, our net income is $80 million versus $14 million budgeted. So uh, uh, a very large favorable variance there uh, with variances on a year to date basis also due to a uh, strong collection percentage and, and supplemental revenues. We had a report from our COO uh, about reducing our expense levels. Uh, Mr. Frasky noted that now that the pandemic was waning, or at least it was a week ago, um, we have to get our expense structure back to normal, back to what it was pre-pandemic uh, and reduce uh, our registry overtime, sitters, uh, uh, and uh, various other areas to, to a normal level of expense. And for example, in 2023, our goal is to reduce our registry by 50%. We reviewed the article that was sent out on uh, the issues related to traveling nurses, where it appears we have a vicious cycle of local RN shortages, which result in uh, a greater number of travelers and therefore higher staff costs and staff in many hospitals being attracted to the idea of being traveling, traveling nurses for more compensation. Um, our staff, our, our administration felt that at, at AHS, we have not been losing RNs to traveling nursing agencies and that a shift is now happening uh, away from that uh, trend as traveler pay uh, is tending to go down. We next had a uh, report on the revenue cycle given by uh, uh, Shari Johnson, VP of Revenue Cycle. Uh, she explained that when we started as an Epic customer, we were at uh, we were at bottom level performer, and AR days were at 94. Uh, as of April 2022, they're at 61, and uh, we're one of the better performers uh, among the Epic group. We're working on. Uh, reducing denials and avoiding uh, higher levels of discharge not final bill. Uh, uh, and uh, our, our revenue cycle strategy was presented uh, by Ms. Johnson, eight uh, initiatives around process improvement. Uh, going on, uh, approval of contracts. Uh, Mr. Preston Walton, who's president of the foundation, uh, spoke briefly about the foundation's activities. Uh, the finance committee was asked to recommend board approval for a three-year renewal request of $15 million. Uh, Mr. Walton stated that the goal was to raise $30 million over that three-year period. Uh, although over the prior three-year period, the foundation has raised only 12 million and was planning to raise 4 million or will raise 4 million this year. Uh, discussion followed about what seemed to be an out of proportion request for $15 million over three years when the current run rate is to um, raise only 12. And uh, basically the, the proportion of support by AHS to, or by any organization to its foundation is usually somewhere between 25 and 50% of, of total money raised. A motion was made uh, and, and passed to uh, table the consideration of this contract until there could be uh, some education by the foundation uh, to the board 
as to the foundation's history, how it operates, how many FTEs it has, and how it plans to achieve a goal of $30 million uh, or, or $10 million a year over the next three years, given that we're only at a $4 million a year level right now. Uh, after that, uh, the remaining contracts uh, were approved as submitted. And that's my report. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Uh, trustees, question or, or comments of Trustee Fox? Trustee Fox, may I ask you to repeat where we are on, on, on EBITDA and net? Because we are now midway through Q4. <clears throat> And I, it, I have a recollection that there are there is good news, and I sometimes like to repeat good news. Yeah, uh, well, the, these the reports that we saw at the meeting last week were um, at the end of the third quarter, at the end of March. Uh, the net income is eighty million dollars compared to a budget of fourteen million dollars. So we're uh, that puts us about sixty four million dollars ahead of budget or probably about 350%. Uh, I don't have the EBITDA number in front of me, but that sure. we have likewise favorable variance in EBITDA. Yes. Um, I, I should mention that lest we get giddy with that amount of income this year, a lot of that is uh, non-repeating, non-recurring funding having to do with COVID and the, the rescue uh, bills that have been passed and other uh, catch up of supplemental items um, such uh, and, and, and operational items. For instance, uh, in March, we had a heavy, heavy collection of fully reserved accounts. We have, so we had been carrying these accounts at zero and we collected some money. It's a total gain. Everything we collected went right to the bottom line. Uh, and as part of the budget process, um, the finance department is, is trying to distill out uh, how much of our uh, $80 million bottom line thus far this year is non-recurring. So our budget will be based on a, a run rate of repeating uh, revenues and expenses rather than unusual items. So um, we shouldn't expect necessarily that we're going to have a, a, a anywhere near that amount of profit or not necessarily any profit in the budget next year until we see the result of the, of the uh, work of the finance department and the ELT. Yes, sir. Thank you. Ms. Miranda, smile for us and then you can make your comment. <laughs> <laughs> I am smiling as the CFO. It has been a, a great year as Trustee Fox uh, alluded to. Um, and, and he hit it right on the, on the mark there. Uh, our days in AR are down, which means we collected a whole lot of money, probably $40 million more than we would have expected for cash flow. And then supplemental um, one-time funding, mostly from ARPA, which was not budgeted. That's 22 million right there. Those are the two big things. But I wanted to remind everybody that we did pay off a lot of our debt. So we paid off two years of our old waiver. And that is a significant sum of money. It was over 71 million. That's now in the about 20 million. So we've used a lot of that cash to get out of debt. And I just wanted to point that out because it's a it's it's been something that uh, has been looming over our heads for a long time. Yes, yes, ma'am. So uh, thank you, and then Trustee Fox, your your stewardship on this. But uh, you know, uh, if you got to win dirty or however you win, you win. And so at the end of this season, um, uh, this is how we're doing. So we'll think about next season. Next season. 
Um, so um, congratulations as we're uh, coming out, closing Q4 in about six weeks. Um, great job to the team on that one. With that, let's close out the uh, committee reports. Let's go to the consent agenda item F. So uh, are there, do trustees feel like any items need to be removed for discussion? I move the consent agenda consisting of items F1 through F7. So, uh, uh, Trustee Friedman, I'm gonna amend that. I'm gonna recommend approval of uh, items F1, F4, 5, 6, and 7. I have uh, comments or questions on item F2 and F3. Sounds good. I accept that amendment. Second. Second. Uh, um, Madam Clerk, roll call. Yes, uh, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Uh, my comments and questions should be relatively quick. Item F2 said receiving minutes from EBMG Board of Directors meeting 2-22-22 and 4-7-22. There were no minutes submitted for 4-7-22. Is that correct, uh, Madam Clerk? That looked yes. to be when you looked at this. So that would, be my, that would be my amendment to item F2. For item F3, and this one is probably to Dr. Tornabene in the room, this, re this is regarding the sedation policy. At the QPSC, it was discussed that there will be greater clarification on the definition of the quote, two clinicians. Uh, I don't know if that happened because the, 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 uh, the uh, uh, policy looks the same as it did at QPSC. So I don't think that that was clarified. Can you comment on that, Madam CMO? Oh, sure. Yeah, um, certainly it was our intention to add that clarification language to, okay. to, the, to the policy. And so if the, if the trustees feel comfortable approving it pending the clarification like the motion was at QPSC, once it's loaded into policy text, we can make sure that that language absolutely says um, the intention is two clinicians in the room, which includes the physician and nurse. Yes, ma'am. So thank you for that clarification. Given that, I make a motion to approve item F2 with removal of the 413.22 Board of Trustees, I mean, uh, the 4722 minutes because they weren't submitted, and item F3 with the clarification provisions as noted by our CMO. Rana, was that too wonky or you got that? Nope, I got it as long as we have a second. Okay. Second. We have a second, Madam Clerk. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. So that appreciation, the consent agenda is approved with those, with those caveats as noted before. We're closing on item F. So all this to get to all this, and then we get to item G. Um, I've had a request by uh, uh, Trustee Jensen to uh, do a little bit of a flip uh, between uh, uh, what the agenda says, uh, which I'm happy to do. Item G1 was initially the strategic plan. Item uh, G2 was support of Alameda Hospital seismic legislation. I am of course gonna to defer to Trustee Jensen's recommendation. So we will do item G2 first. 
Uh, trustees, this is item D2, discussion and possible action on support of the Alameda Hospital seismic legislation. Uh, this is gonna be led off by Alice Kinner. Everyone knows that Alice is our new administrative director of public affairs and community engagement, and she's already hit the, hit the, hit the floor running. We're also gonna, of course, hear from uh, Deb Stebbins, who's our, the executive director for the Alameda Healthcare District. So um, 45 minutes was allocated this time. Uh, however, you guys can move us through so we uh, can navigate trustee fatigue. We would appreciate it. Alice, the floor is yours, ma'am. Thank you so much, Dr. Chair Bouquet, Board of Trustees, staff, and members of the public. Um, uh, as, as you know, my name is Alice Kinner. I'm the Administrative Director of Public Affairs and Community Engagement. So in your board materials, you will find that we've provided a memo for you regarding seismic safety regulation and legislation. And while there's been several bills, we have summarized two in this memo. The first is Senate Bill 1339, which is authored and sponsored by Senator Pahn. There's no registered opposition or support for the bill as submitted. However, the California Hospital Association, of which all AHS hospitals are members, does support with three amendments, one of which is a seven-year extension for seismic compliance. The second bill that we've summarized is Assembly Bill 2904, which is being carried by Assemblywoman Bonta and sponsored by our partner, the City of Alameda Healthcare District. And so with that, I will turn it over to Debbie Stebbins, the Executive Director of the City of Alameda Healthcare District. Thank you, Al. Thank you, Ms. Kenner. Good evening, uh, Ms. Stebbins. Thank you. Um, can you see me? We can. Or do you have some slides? I do. Yes, ma'am. And I can. You have control. Well, I hope to have the shared screen with that. So. Madam Clerk, does uh, Ms. Stebbins have uh, access to take control? Yeah, she can share her screen. Got it. Okay. Can I do that? Can you see that? Give me a second here. Maybe coming out. Blank and white. What can I do? And I'm a, and a pencil. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of a, a novice at this stuff. Wait a minute. It might be a Zoom whiteboard. That what does look it? like a Zoom whiteboard. That's what does true. that mean? Help me. Zoom whiteboard. Uh, Ms. Stebbins, do you have a slide set that could be sent to, or does the clerk of our board or our council it have? Was, it set? was, yeah. Debbie, stop sharing and start over. Try, try just ending your share and then re-click on share and then re-click on your presentation. I'm so sorry. Don't be sorry. I'm so, ign I'm ignorant at this stuff. Yeah. Rana, do you have the presentation? Here. Rona, do you have something that you can help me? Debbie, you can email it to me too. I'd be happy to do it for Apologies. you. Apologies, I was uh, uh, otherwise occupied. I can pull it up one moment, please. Sorry, sorry. Well, it's all good news. That's that's some previous thing. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> now, Rona, do I do proper? I'll, I'll, just, 
as you get as you get this um, going, I just like to say to um, share with my colleagues on the board that we are um, Debbie will talk about this, but we're happy to say that the AB twenty nine hundred four, which is the bill that we will focus on, that Debbie will focus on, has passed um, through the Assembly Health Committee, and I believe Debbie. <coughs> When we talked earlier today, I don't know the outcome. Alice might know this, um, there we go. but it may have also passed the House Appropri Assembly Appropriations um, Committee today as well. So yes, it's it moving did. forward quickly. Well, that's great to know. And um, so, yeah, I, I really appreciate this opportunity to share more information. And this is the first time many of you on the who've been on the board for for um, uh, more than a, a couple years know that this is the first time that we've had legislation that we can really look to to um, possibly, fingers crossed, get um, some ability to keep working on our seismic issues at Alameda Hospital. So thanks, Debbie. I'm glad you got your slides up. Let's move well, on. Are they up? Yeah, they're yeah. up, Debbie. Can you see them? I can see in a corner, yes. So let me start. Um, and then you can just call slide and uh, Rana will move them. All right, great. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Burkett. So, um, we're really happy to be having this conversation with the um, AHS board at this point and an exciting point in terms of the, um, where the direction is going with the, um, the uh, legislation. Can you, are you seeing that difference? We see SB 1953 provisions of the Alquist Act. Okay, sorry. Um, so anyway, let me go back to the origin of this legislation, which really was in 1994. It was right after the Northridge Ridge quake in Southern California, which leveled about three hospitals. It was a very big deal. And I can say that I was involved in the, um, the disaster relief process in Seton Medical Center in, 18, in 1989, which was before that legislation, biggest, probably the biggest uh, seismic adventure we had in that period of time. And it was um, right, be, we were, I was at Seton Medical Center, I was the, the liaison for the disaster plan. And it was after the the adventure in terms of the, uh, of the um, seismic event right after the, um, I'm sorry, the... Uh, Is that Loma Prieta perhaps? Yes, Loma Prieta. And it was after the, uh, the disaster at the, um, Candlestick part, which was the um, the 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 event at the time. So, um, so the provisions of the Alquista Act it really was um, really done thirty year, almost thirty years ago. It was a time when the focus on acute care beds was very much more important. Um, and most of the, the uh, standards that set up for 2020, which were extended from 2028 and 2013, 
uh, were designed for the prevention of total collapse of the health hospital structures. Um, the, for Alameda healthcare system um, in 2022, that would have been 2025 million. And it was great because we allowed these structures to go in place for 2020. Um, the condition of 2020 between the joint commission, the, um, the joint Paris agreement was for Alameda Health System in the district to continue to have discussions about 2030, but also for the condition of 2014, which was met in its, its full uh, requirements. In 2030, um, there's additional requirements for non-structural retrofits, and those are uh, designed to anchor equipment, maintain operations of the Holes Hospital, um, and the Joint Paris Agreement called for planning between the Alameda Healthcare District and, and the district for compliance. Do you need slide? Yeah. Slide, Thank please. Thank you. This, so this is a little orientation to the site plan for Alameda Hospital. The um, original hospital is over here on what we call the administrative wing. That was decommissioned this year as part of the 2022 compliance. So that will never be used for anything related to healthcare, uh, to, for acute care compliance. The bridge that was there on the second floor between that and what's called the Stevens Wing, a building that was built in the 1950s, added on to the 1960s. Um, the important thing about the Stevens Wing is that it uh, includes an upgrade to the kitchen uh, for uh, a very high price of 100, for $25 million. Uh, and that kitchen, we hope to retain in the legislature that we have before the um, California Legislature Assembly right now, is that we keep the um, the the. Yeah, um, sorry to interrupt. This is Tracy. That's a really good point. Um, just to be clear, that that the twenty thirty seismic would require that the um that the kitchen be moved or the kitchen be um. Yeah. upgraded and so as as you know everyone on the board here knows in, in AHS leadership um AHS in in fulfilling the joint powers agreement did um did did, did um build a new kitchen which is fabulous in the Stevens wing which is in the middle there in the corner there so um what De I think Debbie what you're saying right is that we'll, we'll have to do upgrades for um for the west wing and the Stevens wing as well but in order and and do um the the um building co the course core services uh building plant services in addition to all that most of the ancillary services the lab and um x-ray uh, excuse me not x-ray but lab and um dietary and um e and environmental services etc yes what we're asking for is really an exemption or waiver, whatever they call, want to call it in the state, to keep this, the Stephen, Stevens Wings 
kitchen right. there after a, a very expensive. Um, but that's not in this legislation, right? That's not right. contained in the in no. no, that is the intent of the uh, legislation that we have that in there to keep the um, the the kitchen in that area, which will never be, by the way, um, AB twenty thirty compliant. So the the next area though is the west wing which is very important and we are working very hard in terms of structural and um, uh, mechanical and electrical plumbing and on consult consultation to the west wing which would really be the the prior thing that includes on the second floor the surgery and the first floor the plant maintenance thing. So that's a very important building. Um, so the next area that, um, just to give you, uh, you want to advance the slide? Is that what? Yeah, they're in. Okay. okay. So, um, the 2029-2020 district planning we did was moving all, trying to move all the acute care functions into the South Wing, um, looking at complex, um, very complex uh, sequence and, disrupt, and disrupt, disruptive excuse me, to hospital services um, that would probably be impossible to complete. The estimated cost of that was $20 million. And we, as a result, the district looked at the fact that that was not really logistical cost. Excuse me, is that 20 million or 200 million? 200 million. Okay. Right. Thanks. Right. So do you want to advance the slide? Yes, there we go. So we went back to the drawing board. That was not going to be feasible. The 2022 approach to 2030 requirements right now is what we're looking at. And that is de decommissioning the administrative wing, the original hospital, maintaining the kitchen and the Stevens wing through a waiver, which we're asking the state to do through SPC2 as a building, retrofitting the West Wing for continued continued um, central plant and surgery use, which are very important to supporting the acute care license, moving all the acute care beds into the South Wing, South Wing uh, which will be a compliant building uh, in terms of SB 2030. Um, and the possible addition, where we're moving acute care beds from the South Wing of the old non-compliant now, um, compliant building that would be for 20 to 22 long-term care. Right. right. Um, Debbie, if, if you don't mind, uh, uh, the, the board's been here, this is, we're going on three hours now, and I know you've been in the meeting for, for almost that long. 
if we could if if we could just kind of move a little more quickly these are what we want to do and i am i want to focus on the legislation because we want what, what i'm hoping is that the board will recognize as the, the um, alameda hospital medical executive committee did and um, as um, many other community members the city of alameda um, city council and others have recognized that this is important that we need this and and it needs to be supported by Alameda Health System. So um, if you don't mind, if I'm going to ask, um, ask Rana to, to um, move forward, move the slide forward. Yeah. And so that's where we are. We've, we've, Debbie's been great. She's um, put the, had engineers, sorry, I'm having a music rehearsal in case you hear the music in the background here, but um, my, my family's rehearsing upstairs. The we've had an engineering analysis. We've had um, several architectural um, it, firms that have shared information. And so we're, we're pretty clear on that it's going to be quite expensive to do this. There are several ways to do it. As Debbie mentioned, we could do it by either um, by having moving everything offsite and coming back or um, but the best way to do it would be to to um, move to keep everything on site to um, have a, a, a planned kind of um, strategic way to do the central plant primarily, which will be the biggest thing to do if we can get the waiver for the kitchen. So um, the total project cost, we don't have that number, 200, 200 million was what we had um, gotten an estimate about three years ago, I guess it was. And so um, what we need now is just more time, more time to, to do this planning. Um, Debbie, you wanna add anything here? Debbie, you're on mute. You're on, you're muted. Um, oh, that's okay, Debbie. I'll, I'll just I'll just I'll just finish up if that's okay. Um, so, if Rana, if you want to give us the next slide, yeah. So, um, AB twenty nine oh four. I have actually, if. Um, I'll send to um, Rana to send to, to everyone, to the colleagues, AB 2904 is, um, I have a fact sheet that um, Assembly Member Bonta's staff put together and that they've shared um, with the legislature. And it's really, the problem is that um, it, it, it would be at least 200 million to meet 2030 seismic safety standards. Right now, it would result in significant and substantial disruption of hospital services for several years. And so, unless the seismic standards are amended and extended and we have more time as well as possibly the ability to um, negotiate with other community partners, um, that, that's what this bill is intended to, to fix, so um, to address. So as, um, as we just heard it is actually, the bill is actually passed through the Assembly Appropriations Committee. And um, so the full assembly will hear the, the legislation um, within the next six weeks, I guess. And um, in the future, Debbie could share more about this. Um, not, not necessary to do so tonight, but we, um, once it is, um, gets to the full assembly and it's being reviewed by the full assembly, we hope to have a, a, a com complimentary and, and Alice can, can talk to this as well to, to have a compatible bill in the um, California State Senate. And so that is the information. I can answer questions or Debbie can. And um, what we really want from what 
what, what I would ask you, um, with all respect, my colleagues would be to um, to support this legislation and and provide some um, something to the assembly and to Assemblymember Bonta with your expressing your support. Thanks, Trustee Jensen. Mark, yeah, Mark has. A, yeah, I had the opportunity to meet with Debbie and uh, Trustee Jensen a few months ago on this and other issues related to health districts. And this is a really significant progress. And I, uh, you know, kudos to you, Debbie and Tracy and the rest of the people working on this. I think it's very important. And I would like to move a position of support for the bill. Second. <laughs> I, I I love it. So I, I let's enter into some dialogue a little bit. I so uh, I'll ask this question to uh, Trustee Jensen. Um, what would be uh, from the Alameda Healthcare District's point of view, and, and to Miss Stevens, what is the ideal outcome of this presentation? Of this tonight, our yeah, presentation of, 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 of this agenda item. Uh, Trustee Jensen, what's the idealized outcome? That the Alameda Health System Board of Trustees will write a letter and um, and you know do the elevator speech in support of this legislation, and that Alameda Health System trustees and leadership also will will you know share with others, especially with um, with organized labor and with um, California Hospital Association, et cetera, how important this legislation is. And, and it's it's important to both our constituencies and our, our patients, but it's important to um, moving community hospitals forward after a, a you know th almost three year long pandemic. Okay, so so uh, 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 with that, I see some other trustees' hands. Miss Stebbins, is that is that your whiteboard? Jeez, what's a whiteboard? Let's see. Um, uh, that's okay. I think we finished with the, the slides, so you could take back control, Rana, probably. Yeah, Rana, if you'll take back control. Um, I'm so sorry. It's okay. That's okay, Debbie. Yeah, it's give fine. me just, I, I will, I'm working on it. It's just fighting it. You there got go. it. You got it. Thank you got you. it. So, so let's do a board that wouldn't die. Yeah, let's, no, let's, let's, let's do Trustee Fox and then Trustee Banerjee. <clears throat> Simple question, is there any downside to AHS's approval of the motion? I love that question, Trustee Fox. That's a great question. I'm gonna, um, I, I'm gonna say at this point, there is, there's no obvious downside. There's been no opposition to this bill. There's been no letters of opposition to either the health committee, which was where we would have anticipated there would have been opposition and there's been no opposition it was kind of a pro forma to appropriations, but there's no opposition there. So um, I think that the, the downside would be not supporting this. It would kind of suggest that Alameda Hospital is not, in my opinion, it might suggest that Alameda Hospital is not um, a, a critical part of the system. So Dr. Chair, I would suggest calling the question. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna let Trustee Banerjee make her comment and then I'm gonna call the question. Sir. Okay. I wanted to commend um, Debbie, the, the healthcare district, and Tracy, you all for uh, you know being persistent and um, working on this, and to have this read the bill text. Um, do we um, the the conversations with Senator Skinner have been happening? Uh, I believe, right? 
Yeah, yeah there's been conversations, but she, she, at this point, there's no um, commitment to to um, the a, a Senate bill. But we we're hopeful. We're very hopeful. Yeah. And we started, as you know, um, King Kidding. We started conversations with Senator Skinner. Um, that was part of our discussions in the original seismic committee. 2018, 2017, I think so. Yes. So um, uh, good work. Um, and uh, waiting to see uh, when it comes before the full um, June, what, how it moves. Here, so here are my questions again to Trustee Jensen, who has definite expertise. So Trustee Jensen, there's no forecasted political opposition to that. Is this to this? Is that correct? Nobody's come out in opposition to this legislation, and um, that includes anyone who may have spent, suggested in the past that they would be any organiza organizations that in the past suggested okay. that they were opposed, or any organizations that opposed similar legislation in the past. Uh, uh, um, so thank you for that. So I, what I'm hearing is there's no forecasted political opposition, and and support of this uh, of this bill is does not come with a financial obligation uh, at this point. It's just support of extending a, a deadline, correct? That's a great question, um, Taft. And, I, and um, to my colleagues there, the, the Joint Powers Agreement that was agreed to with between Alameda Health System and Alameda Healthcare District established the... Uh, You're out, you went to mute, Tracy. That was work. Okay, anyway, um, no, thank you for that question. The, the Joint Powers Agreement between Alameda Hospital, Alameda Healthcare District, and Alameda Health System just established that, that there was a financial commitment by AHS to pay for the seismic requirements for 20, what became 2020, which was for the hospital and, um, kitchen, for, for, to move the kitchen. And that was completed. Um, thank you so much to Mark and to Kristen Thorson and everyone and that's been done and that commitment is, is taken care of and nothing else. And in fact, as I recall, the Joint Powers Agreement specifically says that there is no, um, that, that the Alameda Health System has no liability or no requirement to, to um, pay for any of the 2030 seismic, state seismic requirements. Thank you. Trustee Jensen, sorry, next question. Uh, this is a little bit confusing to me. Are we looking for support of 2904 and or 1339, what, what are we looking for support for? Um, I'll, I'll defer to James or to um, Alice, but I think what, what we're looking for, what, what we need to do right now is to um, provide support for AB 2904. As I, as I understand it, the other bill is um, almost a placeholder and yeah. Alice or, um, or Ms. Kenner, James. Ms. Kenner, can you comment on that? What would be the idealized outcome for, for the system? Is it support of both of these, one of these? I'm, I'm a little out of my depth here. So can I ask, answer oh, uh, sorry, for, for Ms. Alice? Brigham, Ms. Brigham, of course. You're, you're, um, so I, I do think that um, currently, you know, SB 1339 is in the initial stages, but um, if it does progress through the legislature, it is uh, in our best interest to have as much flexibility around the timetable as possible. And so while the proposal, proposed amendment by CHA is seven years, that may or may not uh, materialize if it's something between two and seven and Alameda Hospital can take advantage of it, it makes sense, I think, at this point to support both as they're going through the legislative cycle. 
Thank you, Ms. Brigham. I'd, I'd like to amend my motion. Uh, sir, let's, let, I, I'm gonna ask for Mr. Jackson to make comments and then I'm gonna call a question and someone smarter than me can make a motion. Thank Mr. you Jackson. very much. Yeah, please, I'm ha happy to make a few comments. Um, I, I support the, the proposed action um, of AHS uh, and the trustees um, endorsing the request of the healthcare district board. Um, this is, um, it's unopposed right now. There was concern about um, would we face strong headwinds um, by virtue of doing this, but there is no opposition. I do not see a downside to the organization to doing this. Um, I do think that we need to engage labor and make sure that they understand why we are supportive of this. But I, I having reviewed the materials and spoken to um, both Trustee Jensen and Ms. Stebbins earlier today, um, I believe this is the correct action. And the correct action is approval, uh, is supporting both 2904 and 1339, in your opinion, sir? It is, in my opinion, yes. Okay, got it. Trustee Fox, I'm gonna do as you said, I'm gonna call the question. Trustee Friedman, it's on you. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, you put me on mute psychologically. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm, letting you, <laughs> I, I'm letting you make a motion for us, sir. Yeah, okay. Well, what I wanted to do is uh, support for the assembly bill. And in terms of the Senate bill, I'd like to authorize the, our chair and CEO to uh, register our support if it gets amended or changed, because if we approve it in its current form and it ends up something different, I don't want to have to wait till our next meeting in order to support that. So it's actually, is that, that's a, that's a motion, right? That's what we call motion. Yeah. <laughs> So, so um, that's a good point, Mark, Mark. I wonder if you don't mind um, if we could, if I could just ask Tangerine to comment on this. If is there, is it, is it? It's probably likely that it will get changed after it leaves appropriations. It certainly will get changed if there's a conference between the Senate and the House and the Assembly. So absolutely, um, but the motion taken today would be to support, and if there are significant material changes that uh, alter what would be a support position, we can certainly modify our position as it goes through the legislature and uh, go from a support to a support if amended or oppose unless amended based on what those changes are. So taking action today does not preclude uh, AHS from modifying its position if there's significant uh, modification to the bills. I'm not good enough to repeat that motion. <laughs> so no, I understand. Yeah, it, to to support the bill to support AB 2904 and AB 330. 1339. 1339. Um, in the assembly, and then to um, come back to the board if there's any sub substantive or material changes to either bill. So, so that sounds good. Council, direct me on Robert's rules. Uh, didn't Trustee Friedman put forth a motion and then Trustee Jensen just put forth a motion? What do we do here? I believe uh, Trustee Jensen was repeating uh, Trustee um, Friedman's motion. Okay, so we'll give the motion Is that to correct, Trustee... Trustee Friedman. That sounded like... Does that sound correct, Trustee Friedman? As usual, I'm in agreement with Trustee Jensen, yes. Okay. 
Ma Madam Clerk, do you have that? Are you able to capture the essence of that before we get a second in a roll call? Yes, I have it. It's basically support of both bills to come back to the board if there's substantial changes. Beautiful. Uh, let's someone second that. Second. Roll call. All right. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Steen. I think that was an aye from her. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear it. Yeah. Trustee Fox. Aye. Uh, Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. The Thank motion you. passes. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate Excellent. it. Thanks for all your attention to this critical issue. Thank you to the healthcare district. Thank you to uh, uh, Ms. Stebbins as well. And uh, hopefully we can uh, formally make that a formal communication to them, although Ms. Stebbins is their agent. So uh, thank you for that. We will close out uh, that item. And now we will come to our strategic plan at 840 at night. And uh, I know everyone is tired. Um, uh, this is, uh, we have two primary jobs trustees as, as, as a board. One to hire and manage our CEO and two is to help navigate and steward a strategic plan. We know we've had our Huron partners working here for quite some time, and this is a presentation uh, on, on this issue. I want to thank uh, the trustees who've done the individual work uh, uh, with, with the Huron consultants as well. So with that, um, I'm gonna give this to our CEO, Mr. Jackson, sir. Thank you very much, Chair Bouquet. Um, I'm really excited, frankly, to, to bring this, and I'm sorry that it's so late in the meeting, and I hope that you know you can grab a coffee or something and, and get you know re-energized because I believe that the product that we have to present to you, and it's a it's a synopsis, it's by no means the the comprehensive document, but um it's a high-level review that it incorporates the feedback that um, the Huron team has received from the trustees. Um, and so I believe that we have a product that you are going to be pleased with. And my hope is that um, we will end the session with your approval of the plan as presented and we can move forward to operationalizing it. So at this point, I will turn to um, Leslie Grimmer and to Martin McKittrick to begin the presentation. Thank you, James. Um, and in, in, uh, in recognition of the, the late hour, uh, what I've, I've pulled together uh, a subset of the slides that, just, that outlines what changed from the version that was circulated uh, to the trustees a couple of weeks ago uh, and the differences between that and what was in your board packet. Uh, so we'll, we'll dive right into that. Uh, before we do, I uh, just want to cover for the, the board meeting in the, in the public setting our process. Uh, we began in November of 2021. Uh, drafting this plan, we met with over 50 stakeholders, uh, some of them several times, um, in addition to a survey of all employees and positions uh, that I think garnered somewhere between three and 400 responses, um, as well as a patient survey that was conducted um, in multiple languages to gather patient perspectives. Um, we took that with um, a fairly deep set of data from the state of California. Um, that we obtained uh, via Seth from Kim's team. So I wanna thank him for his efforts in, in obtaining that state data for us at a level of detail uh, that's available to providers. Um, so with all that said, we put together a plan and, and sent that out to you all to review. We met with, I believe, six of the, of, of the nine trustees um, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so 
couple of the updates that we had um, in, in responsiveness to some of the feedback that we had. On the outermost ring, um, we added uh, staff and clinician contributions. Uh, we'll, we'll jump to what that looks like in, in just a moment. Um, we advanced the patient advisory committees from year three to year one, um, and that also aligned with some feedback from the AHS leaders meeting uh, over the last couple of weeks about as we institute change, how are we capturing the voice of the patient? Um, we revised uh, which strategic actions have a heady tag. Um, want to thank Dr. Minnie Swift for, uh, for her efforts in working with us on that as well. Uh, and then we made some minor revisions and clarifications uh, to the language for clarity uh, based on numerous feedbacks uh, that we received. So thinking about that, the strategic pillars uh, now look like this. Um, you'll notice at the, at the bottom in the six o'clock position, our staff and clinician contributions. And we've added a, a, bolded, no, a bolded note here about recognizing the critical contributions made by our staff and clinicians in serving our patients and community. Uh, that is the only addition to the plan uh, that we had uh, from the trustee feedback. Uh, in terms of actions where we have the heady tag remaining, uh, we have those here, I, I won't drain this, um, but you'll note the, in the parentheses is the, the pillar under which each of these actions fall. Um, and then we have the actions where the heady tag was removed. Um, and many of these might be heady depending on how you actually implemented it, but on their own, they don't necessarily directly affect equity. Um, so I think it's a, a testament to, as you continue to focus on health equity throughout the plan, um, it's an opportunity to um, make sure that these have that specific action, specific focus that would align them uh, to health equity. So with that, um, that's the abbreviated presentation that we put together in recognition of the hour. Um, I do have the full plan available if there are things that the trustees would like to dive into a little deeper. Um, and I will, will cede the floor back um, and ready to pull up the plan uh, as needed. Thank you, Mr. McKittrick. I know you guys, you guys have worked super hard on this. Trustees, many of you have had deep, deep dives on this. Uh, the, uh, the, the slide set is pretty comprehensive in the packet. Um, are there any questions or comments? Are we at a position where someone can make a motion on this strategic plan, or do we need to make further dialogue? <laughs> um, go ahead, uh, Mark. Those no, are my no. bare hands. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think... One of the things that you know I'm struggling with a little bit is that our healthcare system largely takes a you know rescue-based downstream approach to dealing with individual medical needs of patients. And as I I want to see a stronger manifestation of population health and equity in this plan. So as you said, this is very high level, but like I, is this, when we approve this, is there going to be an executive summary which kind of uses words like, let me see, I've written something like that. So, uh, because there are, there are a few things here that I have, I'm hesitating about. We might, we could, as a trustee, we can say, 
yeah, we we approve this plan. It is the people who are going to be having, who are going to be, you know, our staff, clinical, non-clinical staff, every member of the HS family that, that's going to be actualizing it and operationalizing it. The fact that we have a graphic where patient is in the center, but until last week, um, the plan was that any kind of patient advisory, this foundational would happen in year three, um, that we weren't going to do that until like we wouldn't be involving patients in this foundational work that we are doing right now. I'm like, what kind of readiness? So my question, some of my questions are like, what kind of readiness do your staff have like in this five days, six days, seven days when some of these aspects of the plan have changed? for them to have thought this through and to see like how feasible it is. Because to me, it was a little, you know, you, you know the reactions we had in April to see that patient advisory wasn't even on the radar for a plan that centers patient-centeredness and equity. <clears throat> Trustee Banerjee, I, I apologize. Can you make that into, a, a, are you looking, what, what commentary are we looking for here? My, my question is that I, what is, a plan is a plan. It's a living document. It's a, it's a embodiment of our values and our ability to have a roadmap for what we are going to do. And the, our, our group, uh, of folks who've been working on the plan, the, the ELT or everybody else who were there had, uh, you know, given a lot of thought, given a lot of input and decided something like that we were going to do this work, but we weren't going to do like patient-centered, we were going to do, but that was going to come later. So I think I have things of what has changed that will make that actualization different in terms of bandwidth and in terms of mindset and willingness. I'm asking this to James Jackson. Yeah. You saw yeah. what, what, we, what we, some of the feedback that has gone from in these last months since it's happened. How are you confident that those will be manifest in ways that you know really honor that and the change that you need to do with your internal team to be able to bring this to fruition. Sure, I, I you know, I'm I'm grateful for the question because I think that you've really kind of gotten to the heart of it. This plan, it would be honestly impossible to create a plan that appeased everybody, and so this is to some extent, it's it's a macro version. This is high level, but um, we would spend forever trying to fine tune this to address everybody's specific issues. And so um, in talking earlier today with folks about the plan, you know, I'm confident that there will be adjustments to the strategic plan after it has been approved by the trustees, whether that happens tonight or at another time. And so there are going to be operational issues that we're going to continue to have to manage and fine tune. Um, this is a guiding document. And so, you know, I'm, I got to be honest, I'm concerned about analysis paralysis, because we could, we could chew on this forever. I, I think that what we have here is a good, 
um, synopsis, high level of the direction we want to take the organization. And I'm very confident that we're going to continue to make adjustments and fine tuning um, for the duration of the plan. Trustee Banerjee, does that meet satisfaction on the on what you're trying to the, the, the what will help inform your vote? Yeah, I mean, it is super high level because the accountabilities and so many things are still very nebulous in the plan. And like when you see a goal, you'd like to see like who's accountable, how it is, because we can have all the plans in place. So I understand that it is like super, uh, you know, still at an abstract level about how to operationalize it, what will happen there. There are some missing pieces I have, but I'll, I'll I'll defer for now and I'll let somebody else talk and then we can come back to, you know, I, I, I was, I mean, talking about the basic foundational ethos of if we, if there are historical political swings, sometimes history has a way in which sometimes the planets are aligned to do something. And if the pendulum swing, uh, swings politically, that window of opportunity is gone. Right now, we have spaces to put where the COVID has laid bare. Um, the funding that has come through ARPA cares and other things that is making it possible for us to do business like we have not done before. And I want to see population health not be like where we are doing some things, be less piloty and be more infused in the way we are doing things. So I have like nitpicky things about each of the goals, but I hope that if it's a broad plan that we will be grappling with it and strengthening it every day moving forward. Trustees. Okay, I have a question. Yes, sir. Uh, this is for uh, for James. Um, if this is approved tonight and becomes our strategic plan, how is how is there going to be a change in the way administration ELT uh, and the management team goes about its work? So my my expectation, Trustee Fox, is that we will actually have dedicated resources specifically charged with operationalizing this plan. And to uh, Trustee Banerjee's point a moment ago, it will be incumbent upon us to come back to the trustees and, and to share with you what we're doing. And so I fully expect to be held to account on that. Um, you know, one of the things that Trustee Splendorio um, brought up previously was there needs to be a specific person charged with this. And to that end, I am actively looking at engaging a chief strategy officer. And so that's something I'll be bringing forward in fairly short order, but uh, there will be a strategy officer. There will be focused attention on the details that Trustee Banerjee rightly was asking for. And so I, I believe that we have the, the grist for a, you know, a template for moving forward understanding that we're going to have to come back on a regular basis and provide you with the specifics good. of how we are operationalizing it. Okay. That's good. I, I just was hoping you would not say, well, we're all doing, we're doing all these things now anyway, so we'll just continue what we're doing. And you didn't say that. So I'm glad. Yeah. Check, check. <laughs> uh, Trustee Friedman. Um, 
I share some of the same concerns as uh, Ken Kinney. And I think in looking at the key strategic values and enablers, that's kind of where we come the closest to stating this kind of overarching vision values. and dynamic role for AHS and in the community. And it also um, can touch on what uh, Trustee Splendori has been saying at many meetings about the importance of community centric. I think if we kind of beefed up the strategic values a little bit and say that not only do are these our values, but we will be looking at every opportunity to infuse those into the evolving plan as it moves forward with specificity. Um, I would feel good with a little more, uh, you know, a statement like that. And we're not going to rewrite the whole plan uh, anytime soon. It is a five-year plan and we need to be able to adjust. And, you know, the major change that is likely to happen at the end of the governance process that we had an update on earlier could alter some aspects of this plan sooner rather than later, certainly sometime within the next five years. So I think if maybe we could approve this provisionally and work a little bit on the language and the specificity that Trustee Banerjee was referring to, um, then I'd be willing to go ahead tonight. Thank you for those comments, Trustee Friedman. You know, I, I uh, heard this maxim, you know, I love my maxims, right? Plans are worthless, planning is indispensable, right? So th this, is, this is the start of where we go and we continue ongoing planning. I think I heard a commitment from our CEO that this is an ongoing planning, uh, ongoing planning and, and, and assessing and reassessing, you know, when, when, when this plan finds its, when it falters, if it does, you know, making those adjustments. You know those fine-tuned adjustments. We're, we're not giving enough to Hetty. We're not we're not doing enough for our staff and clinician contributions and the like. And I and and I think I heard that from our CEO. And I'm going to ask him to help to kindly uh, repeat his commitment to to that. And then this sort of becomes a starting point for us, um, with that that is living and allows us to evolve along with it. Mr. Jackson, sir. Sure, I'm 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 very um, comfortable making that commitment. I just, you know, I, I have to say the idea that we would be able to, you know, create a document that appeased everybody. It's, I just don't think that's very um, realistic. I, I think that what we presented um, at a macro level embraces the feedback that we've received and it is gonna be a living document. And I'm certainly committed to moving on the fly and making the appropriate adjustments as needed. And you heard uh, Trustee Friedman's comments on these key strategic values. I think uh, 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 considered elevation of those in the view. Now I see that they're here in the circle, but I, I, I think those are, those are essential values and principles. Health equity, diversity, and inclusion, staff and clinician contributions, accountability, trust, and data to help drive that. I think, uh, I think that, that was a great slide. I love that slide, key strategic yeah. values and enablers. Um, Chair Bouquet, if I may, I, I, I heard that and I accept that and embrace that. I would say I have a little bit of concern about the idea of a provisional approval. That yeah. was um, 
that gives me some pause. I mean, obviously the trustees will do what they wish, but I believe that we have met the test in terms of bringing together, you know, forward a plan that addressed the feedback that we've received. And so a provisional approval, if that's what we get, that's what we get. But I, I was hopeful for a full approval with the caveat that obviously we're going to have to do adjustments and fine tuning as we move forward. Got it. Uh, I'm just going to go around and ask trustees to make comments. So I make sure every voice I, uh, we heard from trustee Fox, he can speak again, trustee Friedman, of course, trustee Banerjee. Let's hear from trustees Chapman, Jensen, and Esteem. Um, so I'm actually, I'm in support of the uh, approval. And the reason that I'm in support of the approval is because um, our CEO just said that it's a living document. So it's, it can be changed, it can be amended, and it's like that little asterisk down at the bottom, subject to change as necessary. <laughs> so it's, you know, it, it's a document that we work from. And the way I equate that is it's a base that we start with and we build on improving that base. And if we find out that there's something in that document that is not working, then, you know, it's that savings clause that we say we remove that and keep everything else and enhance it. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in favor of approving it, not Thanks provisionally. For, Thanks for your comments, Trustee Chapman. Trustee Jensen, then Trustee Esteen. Um, okay. You just want to mute. I agree with um with with all the comments. I um it could it could be further refined certainly, but um as Trustee Chapman pointed out, this is a foundation. It's a it I think it's an excellent foundation. I spent probably an hour more than an hour um with her on talking about with Leslie and and um and Martin talk with my comments and suggestions, which um a lot has been incorporated. And I think that that this gives leadership the tools to move forward to address population health, patient-centered care, and supporting our all of our employees. So I, I'm ready to move forward. I, I um, to to Trustee Chapman's point, it, it may be amended, but I also to James's issues. I think that this gives James as the CEO many tools to use to to direct operations to um, hold staff accountable. And so I think it, it's a good, it's a good um, strategic plan. And I think that Huron and, and especially ELT has done a great job in sharing what they see as priorities along with the board. And this is board driven. We, we, we are driving this and we're putting it together. So I, I'm, I'm eager kind of to move forward with it. Thank you for your comments, Trustee Jensen. Trustee Esteen. Yeah, I uh, appreciate the depth and breadth of the strategic plan. And I think two of the things that stood out to me most uh, were kind of a, aligned with what we heard from Trustee Banerjee that I want to see uh, really deep details. I'd love, I'd love details. And I understand we don't want to, what did you say, uh, CEO? We don't want to analysis paralysis. <laughs> but I do appreciate details because then we have accountability standards. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to the community connection pillar and uh, equity, I think that there, the desire to 
and the intent to partner with resources in the community to create uh, <coughs> a healthcare worker, community health worker program. I think those are those are some things that I'm most excited to see combined with the patient advisory board because I think that's going to give us some of the, the information that we are looking for when it comes to patients being at the center. And I wanna make sure that as we partner with communities, as we create these advisory committees, um, that, you know, a couple meetings ago, we had a beautiful presentation about <coughs> the advisory council that exists within the, the homeless team. And I think we also had a really amazing presentation about HUMS patients and ways that we are uh, utilizing programmatic changes to collaborate and improve patient outcomes as well as reducing costs. And so I guess I had hoped to see details to that level in this strategic plan that we've identified some really good things. We wanna name it and put it in here. Um, and so I, I, I see that we have not necessarily named some of that stuff. Uh, it's more broad strokes, um, but also being mindful about equity as, you know, I see we're gonna incorporate equity in the day-to-day. -day, and I think that that is like a wonderful commitment and I don't necessarily see like how that happens. That's it's super complicated, and I don't necessarily advocate for adding to the C-suite. I think sometimes organizations get top heavy, but I do think that bringing in equity experts is actually a different kind of way to demonstrate a commitment to that. Um, and I also don't think we need to create everything here. I think we have a lot of community partners that have community health worker programs people who are already in the community. And I, I wonder if we need to own every part of this, if we need to create so many pieces or if we just you know, can adopt through partnership. Um, and so those are just like questions that I have that I don't know have already been addressed. Thank you, Trustee Esteen. Mr. Fratsky, I see your hand, sir. Good evening. Good evening, Trustee Bouquet. Um, You know, the accountability, um, I, I, I know there's a name by every single one of those tactics in the plan. And, you know, tactics typically are a little broader in a strategic plan. Um, the devil is when you start trying to operationalize or dream about how to implement or incorporate the tactic. Then it becomes much more granular. And that's the beauty of a strategic plan, frankly. And what James was talking about in terms of it, it kind of builds its own life around the details of how it gets operationalized. So we have to naturally go down deep to get these tactics implemented in a manner that is consistent with our values and everything we see in that circle. Thank you, Mr. Fraske. I agree with that. I'm going to bring it back um, to Trustee Banerjee and then ask Trustee Friedman to make some final comments. And then I'm probably going to call a question. Trustee Banerjee. Yeah, I, I think um, I hear you, um, Mr. Jackson, when you say we can't appease everybody, but uh, this is a document, uh, this is a plan in which uh, there are two things the board does, hire a CEO and does a strategic plan. We should all be 
extremely proud of having our name on it, um, uh, even as it iterates. I would like, because it, it, we are not, uh, we are thinking about like what, while the graphic tells us what equity is, tells us about accountability and trust, like I'd like, I, I, may I suggest some language here? I'm just gonna put it out there and tell me what you think. HS's strategic plan envisions a way forward that values people equally and treats them equitably. We envision a, a county in which all residents live in thriving communities and where resources work well, systems are equitable and create no harm, not exacerbate existing harms. We are actively involved in creating and strengthening structures and systems where all residents, especially our marginalized and, and minoritized, have power, conditions, resources, and opportunities to achieve optimal health. And all caregivers are equipped with the consciousness, tools, and resources to confront inequities and dismantle every form of exclusion and structured oppression and, and are equipped to embed racial um, justice and advance health equity within and across all aspects of our system. What, what I want to say is in the intro, in the executive summit, there has to be a very unwavering, explicit call to action about our role as, as an organization there. And in the slides, I don't see that language. And I want to see if this kind of ethos is made clear because even right now, we don't know if people understand the difference between equity and equality. We have tremendous tension about that. We have tension about what community means. Like does community means things that are outside Highland Hospital or does community mean things that are outside the healthcare system? So I want as much of our values also put into words other than that graphic because people will read it differently and that is all I can say. So if it's not explicitly stated, um, everybody will understand it in a way and when we have to operationalize it. So again, um, strong oomph about our unapologetic um, focus as, as uh, where we value the dignity of people and we are worthy of our people. Trustee Banerjee, where did that same, is that something you drafted? No, no, and that is, uh, I had, should have started with that. This is, these are all taken from the American Medical Association strategic plan. I've shared these, the, uh, an early draft or the final draft with you guys in 2021 with our ELT. But this is a, a, this is language that has been taken from the strategic plan of um, the American Medical Association. So, I, I, apologies. I think this is the first time I've heard it stated that it was uh, amazingly written. So, my questions are: Has that previously been shared with the executives and or the Huron consultants in your one-on-one? -on -one? Mm, no, I I don't believe that. I mean, I, I've kind of. Uh, conveyed the, you know, uh, a few things like we should do a community health needs assessment, mm -hmm. patient advisory thing that we have to have much stronger language about equity, but I didn't write the language. I, I saw the last iteration of this slide and said, maybe 
we need to bring this um, to the discussion and see if like this is a paragraph that came straight out of page two. This is this is what it looks like. Um, and if we can, if, if there is any way that we can add something like that, so that it, it, you know, we are, we are um, the Bay Area. Yeah, we have a much stronger, um, you know, presence and stance about racial justice and equity. And at this time, the language in this uh, in this um, does not convey that uh, to me and I'm only one vote so you know yeah we're all important votes I guess I guess my uh, I guess my feedback uh, uh, is that that's my first time hearing that so I I I sort of need a period of digestion for it the con the concepts sound good I uh, I think this is Mr. Jackson's first time hearing it but I'm not sure and I'm wondering if this is Huron's first time ever hearing this it, it, it sounds, there's like great principles. So I feel a little bit stuck. Mr. Yeah. Jackson, can you comment on uh, uh, that, that, that nice thing that uh, Trustee Banerjee read? Before and he comments, can I ask one thing? Yeah. What I ask is not for you all to, you know, have something thrown at you at 9, 11 in the night and have to decide on it. But I do feel like, uh, you know, there is a, uh, if we have to call a, a special meeting and say five minutes to approve it or the other, but if there are some provisional things that we want to add to it right now, a language in the in the talk that conveys it, if it needs, is it possible for us to do, or as Mark said, a provisional yes, which which approves, you know, the the our uh, leadership of Mr. James Jackson and understands that, but this is a document for others to see throughout the system. Madam trustee, my comment to you is you're a trustee and you get to make motions on things that you wanna make motions on. Uh, and then, then it's up to the other trustees to vote or not. So I, I, I guess that's what I'd say is, uh, I, I don't think there's a prohibition on making amendments to prior approvals. Mm -hmm. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, thank you. Uh, I'll make a motion um, that we, we, uh, as I uh, understand, we have a special meeting next week. We do have a special meeting, Lance. So you're beating me, Trustee Jensen. So say mm -hmm. what you were going to say, and then you. I would make a motion that that we defer the decision on this to allow Trustee Banerjee to um, to meet and share more information with Huron and to address this issue, specific issue about. Um, Health equity and patient-centered in the patient-centered care and health um, equity that she's been discussing. So, so I think that's one, and, and uh, an alternative might be to, and again, not pushing. I'm going to receive an emotion from someone else is to approve it and then to make an amendment to it. That this could be added, you know. To I, I think I, I hear you, uh, Trustee Banerjee, uh, uh, being declarative. I like your word unapologetically um, uh, on this, and and maybe in the introduction. Where do we where do we put this statement? But I I I see this sort of as an and, not as necessarily a but. And and again, you're a trustee, so you get to make motions, and and then I can perhaps create an agenda item where you might have that space. Trustee Friedman. 
I think that the guts of the plan are certainly ready to go and have been worked um, over the course of some time with a tremendous amount of input, both from staff and, uh, and others. I would be comfortable approving the plan and saying that either at our special meeting or our next board meeting, that we have a discussion on some language that sets the context for the plan, which I think is what is lacking right now. Uh, but I think the rest of the plan is ready to go. We don't need to get into the weeds, but the context, the, the passion that uh, Trustee Banerjee just showed is lacking in the plan, frankly. It's, um, it, it has an operational bureaucratic feel to it and doesn't communicate the passion for change, equity, diversity, uh, taking care of everyone in the community in a dynamic, evolving way. Um, it doesn't really sing. And I'm not saying all strategic plans sing. The best ones do. A lot are, you know, they go through the steps and the steps are all here uh, in a general strategic plan, not in an action plan with more specificity and timelines. That'll have to come later. But I would like to make a motion to approve the plan as is currently and to come back at our next available time to consider some context setting language like what uh, Trustee Banerjee just proposed and we may come up with some other options before then. Thank you Trustee Friedman for making that motion. Uh, uh, before I ask for a second, I see a hand up. Uh, Trustee Fox. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mentioned, and I recall that when I read the minutes, maybe in our last meeting or the previous meeting, that you know we don't have much of a, a of a commun much communication with the community. And I know that you know in the year and a half that I've been living here in the in in Alameda County, that I if it weren't for being on this board, I wouldn't know very much about AHS or that AHS even existed. I know the Highland Hospital you know, goes by on the freeway and that's about it. But I just wonder if this is a statement that not only could be inserted into the early part, early pages of the strategic plan, but also maybe a statement that could go with a piece that goes out to the community at some point where we might wanna say, uh, we're AHS, we, we just approved a new strategic plan. Here's what we're all about. And maybe this kind of a statement goes, goes right in there. So our public gets this statement. And we don't just bury it in the strategic plan, but this is a statement that gets out, out there to the public and says, we're doing this with, with the kind of passion that Trustee Banerjee has been you know, talking about it on the subject. Unapologetically. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I think I heard a motion from Trustee Friedman. Madam Clerk, do you think you got that motion? Chair Bouquet, I, I think there, sure. was a motion, there was a motion on the floor by Trustee Jensen. I, I don't think she would call that motion. Okay. Uh, uh, Trustee Jensen, if you recall, would, would recall your, sorry, if you would consider recalling your motion so that Trustee Friedman's uh, motion. Uh, sure, I'll recall my motion. Uh, so uh, is that acceptable, Council? 
Madam Clerk, do you think you have what you need to repeat the motion that Trustee Friedman just put forth? My understanding is that Trustee Friedman moved um, to approve the strategic plan as it is, and then at either the special meeting or an upcoming board meeting to discuss language to set a context for the strategic plan. Trustee Friedman, does that capture your motion? Good job, thank you. Yeah, Ron is pretty good at her job. So um, <laughs> with that, let's take a second. I'll second. Madam Clerk. All right, Trustee Energy. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. The motion passes. So let's all just take a deep breath and, and thank you. Congratulations, trustees. Congratulations, executive team. Congratulations to uh, Huron, Mr. McKittrick and Ms. Gimmer. And you know what? Mike Tyson was right. <laughs> Everyone has a plan till you get punched in the face. Uh, so so I, I think we just did it. Um, and um, we will therefore close out this item, uh, G2. Um, thank you, everybody. Let's go to item H, board calendar and tracking uh, items. This is very, very easy. Next week, we have a special meeting it was originally designed uh, next Wednesday night to be a short item, uh, which was probably 30 minutes or so, if necessary, to 45 on the Alameda Healthcare Foundation approval of the items that Trustee Flox discussed. I'm going to uh, add this as an agenda item. So Trustee Banerjee and all of us have a week to chew on what uh, th this discussion. So uh, that is next week. Uh, uh, as we're forecasting, knowing that we are dark in August as a full board QPSC goes forward. So that's sort of our short-term calendar. We're still looking for two items. One is a full board retreat again in the fall. I'm going to meet with the executive committee and, and put out some uh, to, so we can plan on some dates. And then uh, Madam Clerk, remember our guide, our bylaws uh, suggest to us, if you will, that we have our joint meetings with our board of supervisors so if you could reach out to your to your counterpart and ask them uh, uh, the board of soups when their availability is for our next joint meeting. I will follow up with them again. Thank you. Okay. Uh, trustees, are there any other board calendar and or tracking items? Good job, everybody. Uh, so council. Chair Bouquet, there's a, a, a closed session item for the special meeting next week. Uh, we can talk offline about it. Yes, sir. Uh, that Because it's a special meeting, a 24-hour posting, so there will be some time, and I'll, I'll, I'll message the trustees on the contents of, of the meeting so they'll have preparation. Dr. Chair? Yes, ma'am. I am I, sorry, I couldn't unmute fast enough, but I would like to add um, AB2904 to the tracking calendar, please. Yes, ma'am. Madam Clerk, if you'll keep that on our tracking items. Got it. Uh, team, item I is staff reports. One is a CFO report on the March 22 financials. Boy, it's good. Next is a COO report on the expense management improvement plan. Boy, it's good. Uh, mm -hmm. Next is a 10-year financial mm -hmm. retrospective. Uh, our, our CFO really busted her hump to, to put this together. We had previously wanted to give her public space Obviously, I'm not time managing very well. If you read that and put that in your archive of knowledge about this organization, 
it's an excellent document. So please, please, please try to read it. I know it's late. So with that, that's item I. We have a closed a session on trustees. Uh, unfortunately, that's another 30, maybe 40 on us, depending on how much dialogue and discussion there is. Um, uh, council, is there any comment about going into closed session? Uh, 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 trust council, is there any comment about going into closed session? Yeah, uh, so we'll uh, go into closed session to consider those items stated on the agenda. But before we go into closed session, I'll see the floor to trustee SD. Yeah, I need to recuse myself from item three uh, because of a potential conflict of interest. Thank you, Madam, Madam uh, Trustee. Um, uh, let's go into closed session. Uh, uh, Council, 